Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon to all the geeks out there. And I'm and welcome to another Monday night stream, otherwise known as the Geek Inspired Podcast. Yes, 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 that's what it is. And as you can see, he's the reason why Tunes is nodding so rigorously is because I actually said it correctly this time. You got the name right <laughs> two weeks in a row. This is a Dude, record. The reason a record is so rigorously, I actually said it actually this time. But anyway, our special guest today is none other. Then the funny man himself, Vittorio, we to my right. Okay. Don't worry about Hello. the reason why everyone's <laughs> It's there. It's there for We're me. off to on, a great start. On YouTube, it's there. How we do it. It's how we do it. We're, 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 yeah. we're strange when we run this thing. But Bad yes, thing. Vittorio, welcome. How are you today? I'm well. I'm well. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's lovely to not be be making the typey typey noises at my normal job and <laughs> so in massive air quotes normal job i mean yeah. i look back at what i do there are times when i type stuff and i read it back and it's like it's for whatever company and it's to punch whatever product and i go it's you remember that scene in galaxy quest when alan rickman is, is looking at himself going this is you used to be in the Shakespeare Theatre Company. What happened? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, do, I don't have that. I was like, I'd sometimes sit there going, you used to tell dick jokes for a living, dude. What happened? <laughs> still do. Yeah. Still do, mind you. But um, it's it's uh, it's a weird thing when you switch your mind. Um, it's like I remember when, when I first started working this day job, and full disclosure, the first time I ever worked a day job, in it, we're proper gay, like getting up at be at work at nine finish at five doing an actual nine to five first time i did it in my life was the beginning with well, the end of july last year when i started this copywriting job and i remember saying like i'm sitting in the office i'm surrounded by the rest of this cubicle farm and i looked pe at, around at people and i went how did we get conned into this <laughs> this is not natural no it's not it's, uh, <laughs> Steve Hughes had a great way of describing it. We got conned into this thing of five days on, two days off. Five days on, two days off. And, yeah. Uh, it, it's weird, though. It used to be six days on, one day off. Yeah. Because yeah. you couldn't work on the Sabbath. And then I think yeah. trade unions got involved. Yeah. Ignore yeah. the, the, the shadow that keeps walking past me. It's, it's um, Kez being Kez, who's supposed to be sitting next it's to supposed me. supposed to be sitting there hosting the show. <laughs> It yeah. is the sighting of the lesser spotted geek. <laughs> yes. You know, natural ah, long flowing orange haired geek. Uh, but yeah, I mean on, on the point of on the point of work weeks, I know that some places like I think Finland, um, they mm -hmm. have experimented with doing a four day mm -hmm on three day off and apparently the results say that that's much yeah. better for productivity so i'm yeah, waiting it's a massive and, boost. And i'm waiting for those days um I, yeah i think uh, um when the first world institutes something it usually trickles down and takes at least another decade um for it to unless it can be proven that it makes a shite ton of money and then suddenly magically the third world catches up <laughs> it'll take us a couple of centuries to catch up especially after crises like these which which will affect mm. us yeah i don't yeah. think that's gonna happen but look it's it's the same the same focus as for example i remember my brother the one day giving me shit because he says oh i'm a millennial because i was born in 1984 i'm a millennial i'm a millennial but i don't feel like one and i don't act like one either so i said to him and you ain't 
Yeah, and I am. But the whole thing is, it, apparently that's that that's where you're born. She's here. Yeah. <laughs> so so when you're born in the 1980, when you're born in 1984, you're considered a, a, a millennial, right? Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm yeah, but the thing is, with South Africa being so fucking backwards, you know, I'm not a millennial. I'm actually still Generation X because we're so yeah. backwards. Yeah. We're Generation yeah. X, but I'm five years behind the world. <laughs> I think the thing that gets on my nerves is my feeling is you're only a millennial if you were born in 2000 yeah I anything agree. after that you're not a millennial because you weren't yeah. born in the millennium yeah you know, clue is in the in, title in the millennium i mean a millennium is a thousand yes. years long yes but when it changed over to the millennium <laughs> this is the year over. we're all going it's the millennium yeah. and then yeah. we went oh it's same yeah. shit different day oh, okay yeah it's weird the, the, de- the definitions get weird for that why, one year so and that? every year afterwards and every year before that <laughs> because when has the world not been ending <laughs> um oddly enough you can go on wikipedia and there is a list of doomsday prophecies made by um several uh religi- religious pundits um and also oh, scientifically backed ones that say well this is this projection and that's this projection apparently yeah. i remember when sci-fi channels still used to have sci-fi on it when it was still on DSTV, um, mm. when they didn't start, a clue that things were going to change when they started changing the spelling of sci-fi, when yeah. it became Sifi. So when Sifi Channel was still sci-fi, um, they used to have this thing where it was like um, projections into the future. It was just before the hardcore hentai they used to show. Um, <laughs> not that I was a fan or anything. Like, I love that. DSTV, ETV got their late night porno idea from somewhere, and I'm pretty sure it was that. And so sci-fi channel would have these people and the one was this woman who was talking about memes before memes were ever a word and she said this is what a meme is this is how they work and then another thing they mentioned was the singularity that the projection was that somewhere around 2035 or in that region there would be a moment where by which everything would be measured as things that happened before and things that happened after and now the current projection by futurists is that that is pretty much what we're headed for that our children and our children's children will live in a world that's vastly different to what we have now. Who knew they were 15 years off? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, and I mean, it's, we it's just the, the sheer, you know, progress and, and rapidity of mm. technology changing our lives. Like, it's a yearly thing yeah. now. Technology advances faster yeah. than we do. Yeah, and it's, it's getting to a point awesome. where... Yeah, it's it's gonna even surpass generations. Like it's gonna be Oh yeah. Like every two years yeah. our life will be rapidly changed. Uh in some way mm-hmm. due to some company getting big or some technology getting taking over. Um for what the thing I, I was thinking about yeah. the other day, I was wondering what's gonna replace TikTok. Like what's gonna be the thing that comes mm-hmm. after TikTok? Talk tick. The reverse. Okay, jump yeah. we're, we're content creators is what we do. Well, I'm it, hoping yeah. it's going to be something like <laughs> just so that people will struggle pronouncing it. <laughs> it's like, what do you use? <laughs> That's the update. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 what is this? TikTok. Yeah. It, it might not be even a, a video <laughs> thing. It might be an audio thing uh, mm. instead of just video. It'll become very retro and we'll start mm. listening to LPs mm. again. Uh, that's already happened. Yeah. No, I mean in the sense of everybody will, it'll be every bloody way. Like you know, it's yeah. going to be retro when suddenly iPod, iPods become a thing again. Yeah, I, I doubt that'll happen. Yeah. <laughs> a Walkman. A Walkman. Oh, I, I'll have you know, blast from the past. 
he said, reaching for a thing. This, as far as I know, is one of the last Discman that Sony oh ever God. released. I got this just before the MP3, like iPod thing became a thing. I got this for Christmas. This thing plays MP3s, but it has to run off of a disc. And yeah. it's got this anti-skip technology in this that I needed when I used to DJ. You can shake this thing and it won't mm, skip. Yeah. All, all I'm thinking of as a scientist is that why are you holding that fossil so weirdly? You yes. just treat it very kindly. <laughs> I'll never forget are you speaking of fossils. I've been digging things up out of my cupboards today. This, how many of you recognize this? Oh, oh my god, dude, is that, is that one this, of the things? Yes, pilot? this is an iPack Pocket PC. Oh, geez, Louis. Yes. This was released in 2000. This is the 1940 edition, not the year before so you being it, a smart That's the millennial in the room right there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. folks, Look at this operating it's, you've system. You've got it on. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was the thing. Yesterday, yesterday, I literally just I found its cable, and the cable is hilarious because it's got a USB cable, but a power cable plugs into that, so that because it, it has a what? separate power supply in order to charge and run. It doesn't sync via USB unless you use Active Sync. Active Sync doesn't run on Windows 10. If you want to Active Sync this thing, you have to install Windows XP. <laughs> which i haven't done because i don't have nearly that kind of time but yeah i plugged it in charged it worked immediately Jeez. no exploding battery yeah, yeah. that's nothing the, that's of what that. we it just works. in biology call a living fossil <laughs> fossil yes <laughs> so, yes indeed it's really old looking i like old works. tech i like old tech there's the apparently is what i do the thing is i also never throw anything away <laughs> so I've got an old 3310. I've got an old 5110. Oh, Still works. Jeez. I got something much better but, than that. Okay. If he whips out an, an eight-track player, I'm going to be annoyed. Yeah, it's, it's, older than that. it's about the same age as that. Yes. Oh. Holy crap! A Sega Genesis. Mega Drive, dude. No, it's a Mega Drive. Mega Drive. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, for those geeks who are just tuning in, welcome to the Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> I have an original PS1. It was the first console I ever bought for myself. Yeah, I, Purely I, so that I could finish Resident Evil 2. I think the oldest thing I got around me is this box of a PSP, not even like the actual PSP. It's the box. Wow, you actually have a PSP. You have a PSP box. I have the box. I'm gonna yeah. hate He's going to hate me. The oldest thing around me right now. Is me. I saw it, yes! <laughs> you! <laughs> There's the wind up, the pitch, and oh! Knocked it out of the park. <laughs> you. Older than me. Maybe the room, but nothing else. <laughs> not, the not in the, the near vicinity of Because the, the room, the room, this house is about 110 years old or something ridiculous. That would so explain the wood paneling. Yeah, the house is old. <laughs> Is that is the walls covered? Are the walls covered with wood paneling? That's wood paneling. It's and you have a fireplace. Yeah, there's a fireplace. It's a gas fireplace. They they changed it up for a gas fireplace instead of having it as a a normal fireplace. So it no longer runs on coal and stuff like that. 
Okay, I was just thinking, if you have a wood-burning fireplace and the walls are covered in wood paneling, it's kind of like, what are you doing? Threatening the house into not falling down? (laughs) You screw up just this much and in you go. (laughs) Come on, I dare you, fall down. Fall down. (laughs) During the Second World War, there's the house going, no, 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 no. Go Go bomb next door. He steals our milk. Go bomb him. we're about 30 minutes away from one of the airports that was used to stage um some of the 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 d-day landings uh Prestwick airport they actually they used to they brought the bombers and the um the aircraft that would drop the the uh, paratroopers to Prestwick to then fly to to england so from america they come to Prestwick and then go to to england and that's oh, yeah. like you wouldn't believe really. <laughs> <laughs> every now and again just for fun they'll start up the 1812 overture <laughs> sorry anyway Kez, <laughs> <laughs> feel free to take control of your podcast at any point yes, we, need to, we need to wrangle this thing in Kez, because it's getting so I've so taken my ADD meds let's go we lost control we lost control that's a good segue how did you get into comedy because of the fact that you make us laugh so much um, I think well the easiest way to describe this is I was always exposed to comedy in one way or another because um, I had two older brothers that had this impressive collection of of comedy from a recording of Jan Spies sitting around a fire talking to mates and just being hilarious. Um, I think I still have it somewhere. Um, but it was the first th- people I heard being funny was uh, Bill Cosby, Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, um... And I still listen to that stuff today, and it's it's still funny. It's still like, funny. I mean, yes. But I mean, it's like <laughs> if, if you listen to Richard Pryor's stuff, his stuff is so so good, so on on point. And I mean, regardless of what people think about Bill Cosby, I'm I had this discussion with a friend of mine the other day where they said they wanted to know why I had a Bill Cosby DVD. And I said because the material is still funny. By finding the material funny, I do not condone the actions of the person. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I've listened to as many of the albums of Bill Cosby's as I can, and he's, he was quite prolific. Mm-hmm. George Carlin released more, but Cosby mm-hmm. was extremely prolific. And his stuff and prior stuff, the material still holds up. The, they know how to tell a story. And that's yeah. where I got my start of just, I would absorb all this stuff and was very good at repeating it back to people. But at no point did I ever consider the possibility of doing that. That never crossed my mind. See, Mm. even back then, I was a person of very low ambition. And (laughs) what I wanted to be was an actor. Star Wars is my earliest childhood memory. And I wanted to be Luke Skywalker. But then over time, I realized the job was taken. So I said, fine, I will. Yeah, I mean, it's... You think you realize these things when you're in your teens, and yeah. so <laughs> yes, yeah, and the ADD didn't have a name then. We're just stupid, and so yeah. So I wanted to be an actor. Studied drama at Pretoria Technicon. What was then Pretoria Technicon? What is now named Chwane University of Technology? That no one with a sense of humor was on that naming council. Not one. Um, or whoever did it was like maybe they'll get the joke 
No, 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 nobody's noticed yet. I think there's, that's 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 the trap you fall into as a copywriter as well, which I'll get to is that thing of you'll write something and go, okay, let's see. Oh, shit, nobody noticed. Crap, should I say anything? Nope, okay. So went to study drama and um, was, was in my first year going into my second year where I met a guy called Brendan Berg. And Brendan was already part of a comedy double act called The House Boys. Him and a guy called Darren Maul. Uh, Darren's now a DJ on East Coast Radio. Mm. And so between the two of them, I got to know them and Brendan. I was always telling him jokes, trying to make him laugh and stuff. And then one day he said, do you want to do you want to try get Do you want to do five minutes on stage? And for some reason I went, OK. <laughs> and he didn't say anything about it for like two or three weeks. And then I brought it up again. I said, so about that five minutes. And he said, okay, I'll organize it for you. And there was a place at the now long gone Randburg waterfront. Um, yes, that's how freaking old I am. Because um, it's now called The Furs or The Ferns. And before that, it was the Brightwater Commons. And then before they filled that in and got rid of all the bodies, it was the Randburg waterfront. Um, our own Petri dish of destruction. And so at, the, at that place used to be a place called Hysterics, which then changed its name to the Funny Farm. Um, so we went through there. It was the, it was Friday, 27th of August, 1999. And I went through, performed, died on Mars. And for some reason, I kept going back. And um, I went back for like nine weeks in a row just learning each time doing five mm. minutes learning and learning mm. and learning it was great because it was such a new thing back then for for that crop of comedians i mean this is where guys like al prodgers rob fridjohn um martin jonas magic man uh alan adams colin moss as well but he was based in durban and then cape town but all these acts were coming up and so everybody was helping everybody else and so yeah after about nine weeks i got paid my first uh, bit of cash and it was nine it was a uh, hundred bucks and i was like halala 2001 100 bucks yes please <laughs> show me the way and i didn't stay too far away from it i stayed in veltferden park in alan's neck where the rest of alan is we have no idea <laughs> and yeah i just went up from there and that that was essentially how i got it, it was a case of just going there learning the ropes and staying with it comic comedy is very much about sticking with it because if you stay with it long enough you'll learn very quickly that whether you're funny or not um yeah. comedy is is very much that system of if you stay with it you'll either get funnier or stay cuck that that's just how and there are some people i know there are career mm -hmm. open spots that have been doing it for at least 17 years and are still open spots and at that point don't tell me this is a hobby. Um, if you want self-flagellation, you can do it at your home without an audience. Um, <laughs> here's, a, here's a sign. For those of you who are watching, wondering, is, the, you know, is comedy for me? If you get to the stage where other comedians hear you're on the bull and they then go, oh, shit, no, because they know they have to follow you, that's a sign. That's a sign. <laughs> One of the signs. I remember was, I'd be working at Parker's and there'd be one dude on the lineup that's just, there's, there's were a handful of them that just got that reaction. And guys, I mean, I was the MC and guys would come up to me and say, dude, please get the crowd back before you bring me on. I really, I was like, dude, I know my job. It's okay. <laughs> it's, 
let us all just enjoy the train wreck in front of the Pokemon factory and then we'll carry on <laughs> and then we'll carry on you know it's that's just how it is so yeah long story short too late that was how i got into comedy yeah yeah speaking that's of like you know bombing in front of a crowd what, what was your worst mm-hmm. experience was that first time your worst or did it go up um, and down? i'd say probably that first one is the most memorable one that i can i remember dealing with there have been times where um yeah maybe i just blocked them out but there are times when i have i've most certainly died and it's it's weird it'll be this thing where i'll be emceeing on a night and i struggle my ass off and then the acts that come on after me that i introduce they do just fine which makes me feel wonderful and uh, yeah it's i think that that death that first night i clearly remember there was one moment that clearly sticks in my mind where normally when your hands shake like this is normal just from the adrenaline sometimes more because you're just pumping but then i remember looking down at my hand and it was doing this it was shaking that much i mean i'm doing it slower now so you can actually see it with a camera otherwise uh, it was literally this and i did some line about star wars or something and it, was, and it fitted so perfectly i was like holy crap use the force luke and that got a laugh because it's more it's i don't know if it was a sympathy laugh it was just the fact that i pointed out just how much i was i was shaking because at this point i'd been on stage i'd finished my drama diploma a three-year course that i did in five so hey <laughs> <laughs> at least you finished yes. it <laughs> yes i finished it because i think my dad would have actually beaten me <laughs> like or just thrown me off of something high <laughs> My parents were remarkably forgiving of me, and I mean, I would have kicked my ass. I've said this over and over again. I've, I hear stories from my family about some of the crap I did when I was young, and I mean, the studying thing was another example. I would have kicked my ass. Uh, I was like, you time-wasting, procrastination, pushing, get off your ass, you lazy prick. And, it, sorry. And yes, yeah, so, people say I'm hard on myself, but... Uh, no if you aren't hard on yourself who else you're going to be being hard on yourself that sounds like a euphemism for masturbation um so yeah i mean bombing on stage i think i've never been booed off stage but that that was quite nice but they've they've been the thing is south african audiences don't boo um we are not at that stage yet i don't know if you've been to british comedy clubs um they don't give a damn um I, I don't know how it is now but i remember there was a venue in hammersmith called up the creek and up the creek was just it was notorious on a sunday night a guy called malcolm hardy used to MC it and it was the open mic night but people came out to see malcolm and they came out to watch open mics get destroyed so the, the story was if you could do well at up the creek then there wasn't a room you wouldn't succeed in because you had to have like steel for blood. And I mean, like, some of the heckles that would come out of that place, there was a dude who was doing a mime act. Why in the hell you let a mime on at a comedy that's a comedy club thirsting for blood? He, w- yeah, he went on and there's a dude in the back who yells, for God's sake, tell a joke, I'm blind. <laughs> you don't come back from that. No, you don't. You just you don't. don't. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, it's like, yeah. 
some of this oh geez like when they when people when the audience thought you weren't doing well uh, to hint that you um should leave somebody would, would yell taxi <laughs> yeah it's another one of those things that unless you actually know that then you yeah. won't understand what the thing is but i mean uh, it's, uh, it's yeah I've, I've, i mean there's been times where i've seen open spots bomb and they bomb there's no other description for it seven minutes of death and the only way to get the audience past this is you have to own up you have to own up to it it's like you now have to definitely address the elephant in the room mm. <laughs> and uh, it's like uh, i can remember being in a room where the audience oh no i remember the one the one terrible death i was emceeing as well and it was this fundraiser for a school and the i've never had an audience actively ignore me hmm. like doing their utmost to just not give a damn they were having a loud fat conversation it was like i became background music background comedy and the only people who couldn't ignore me were the people in the first two or three rows because you know i they, i can see them they're within striking distance and i mean of the lineup of comics there was myself and i think three other comics on the bull they the audience had apparently only shown up to see the last guy and even he struggled to get their attention which proves one thing to me is that when there's a fundraiser always find out if your audience is nouveau riche because nouveau riche have no bloody manners <laughs> none at all and also be, be if you're that's advice i can give um definitely is if your audience didn't pay to get in you're going to struggle unless they are showing up for comedy if um the audience wasn't aware there was going to be comedy and you have to go on because now you're just uh, some idiot who's um intruding on their loud conversation and if the audience is very very drunk that's always that's difficult then you really have to be careful of your material choice yeah that yeah so that's bombing special thing it's uh it, it's always fun when somebody dies so badly that people are walking out <laughs> and that's it's a rarity in south africa because when people are paid to get in especially if they paid good money to get in if you get them to leave anyway that's that's a special superpower right there that's impressive <laughs> mm. yeah. on the yeah. other side of that spectrum what were some of your fondest memories uh, on stage oh wow <laughs> i think um i spoke about this uh, uh, recently it was that um the venue to perform in in the early days of stand-up i'd say for the first four or five four years from about 2000 to 2004 the venue to perform in was hurricanes action bar on the four ways mall on a thursday night <clears throat> it was an amazing room to perform in because the audience was showing up for comedy they were showing up to have a good time that room held so many people past its legal limit and it was it was this, the way it was designed there was this upstairs section where the where there was a bar here and there was an extra room over here then there was the first gallery the second gallery and then the ground section so it was this huge bowl-shaped room with a with a stage that was right over there and so you were playing up into this essentially really up close amphitheater style and when that place mm. was full if they all laughed it was all of that was aimed at you so you're dealing with like four <laughs> or five hundred people in yeah. close proximity all roaring with laughter and i remember the one night it was like catching lightning in a bottle 
We, I, did, I said thank you very much, good night, and this roar, this blast came off the audience, and I physically felt it push me back, and I was like, I can die now. <laughs> this is th this is what elation feels like. This is flying without wings, and um, yeah, it, it's it's one of those things where I'm so happy I've held on to that memory. I can still hear it in my head because my memory is not that good i mean a lot of stuff has just fallen away which irritates me because comedians draw their life experience from the sort of stuff from your memories and yeah there, there have been a few moments where just you can do no wrong performing at icon is uh, every year that's 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 also amazing feelings it's just that crowd when it's your crowd and you walk on and it's they're, they're there to see you and they're calling your name i mean that's just holy crap <laughs> so, nothing else matters it's it, that is an amazing feeling that and there's material that you can do with your audience that you don't you can't normally do yeah. um i mean like i at one show i just started talking about an old arcade game that i played uh called chelnov and i just went off on this tangent about how the ending sucks and the audience went with me on it and then they read the same reaction i did where they were like what and there's big laughs and i was going i literally just made this up on the spot now this is this <laughs> yeah. is freaking amazing i'm so happy it worked yeah, yeah. and i think doing the last the last one man show was also like that where i did an hour and 16 minutes about geek stuff and the crowd just went with me on it and i was just telling my geek journey essentially that's when i did it's all geek to me that was that was that was awesome the crowd really <laughs> really was up for the party it was it was great fun when i said how many geeks do we have in this room and it was like 94 99 percent of the crowd blah! i was like okay and three normals <laughs> hello i'm not going to stop to describe everything for you people <laughs> Hello, we don't fight. <laughs> but, um, we watched a bit of it. We unfortunately we couldn't watch it all the way because it was bedtime. But we started uh, watching a talk geek to me um recently, and mm -hmm. obviously we absolutely loved it. And you could, like you said, it, when you say how many normal people and how many geeks, you could actually hear the the difference in the tone. <laughs> but and then then. <gasps> <laughs> but the point is for those of um of the people out there that haven't seen it yet what what is it about and what made you decide to do that specific uh, again this this problem of the man is dabbing i'm impressed um i was dab yawning, I was dab -yawning. Oh, okay it's, it's you know what it, it, you found a use for dabbing that <laughs> that on its own See, it's you know two uses in one night. It's uh, that Nobel Prize immediately for no, that. Lower the curve. Um, <laughs> lower the curve. Um, I think the reason why I did the show is again this procrastination thing is that I've been wanting to do another one-man show for a while. I was originally going to do it in November of last year, but I just couldn't secure a venue, and so the plan was okay. I have to do this one. I have to do it. I have to get this right now, and. So I put the thing together, collected together the geek material that I like the most that I've been doing over the years that just made it into some sort of cognitive sense and then just adding stuff and putting it all together. So basically it's my journey 
from when I first, you know, becoming a geek and not knowing what a geek is. The term didn't exist. I didn't know what it is. Well, I think it, it at least it still had a rather derogatory term. It was something that I had heard in films like Revenge of the Nerds and that sort of thing. And so watching that and that development all the way through to actually, wait, I have it here with me. <laughs> Here's one I prepared earlier. Oh, <laughs> Exhibition A. Let's see. Um, yeah, this is the actual sheet, the cheat sheet that I took on stage with me. It's um, there's basically because that ADHD thing is not a joke. It's it's <laughs> genuinely true. And I wanted to make sure I got it right. So subjects are covered with things like um, Star Wars, why I did this show, um, watching a lot of TV because when I was a kid, I watched an insane amount of TV. Mm. Because um, there was nothing else to do, really. I grew up in a small free state, a quaint little fishing village in the north of the free state. Um, it's a town called Velcom, and it was a mining town. And it's not quite... Yeah, but it's not a quaint fishing village. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just, it's, it's, I like giving it that term. He says it was a quaint fishing village on the River Thames. It was, you might have heard of it. It's called London. And it's, um, so it's that thing of you know, growing up in a small town, and what was my geek distraction at the time? It was comic books, the ones I could find. Um, it's weird. Most of the comics books I owned from that stage that I still own now, I bought when we were at the coast for the summer holidays. And there was a corner cafe that had that, that, you know, that rotating rack of comic books. Yeah. And I chose all these, like what were essentially first editions, like Batman Secret Origins of the Villains and... There, there were a bunch of ones that I got, and I still have them. And so those comic books and growing up with Star Wars, and it was I'm very, always very thankful to my two older brothers because it's because of them that I have this love of geek stuff. Um, my brother Francesco, he, when his old video store closed down, he had a copy of A New Hope that um, he got from the video store, and it was on Betamax. Okay. Yeah. And what I what I love about it is that the case that it comes in, this is how big the tape box is. Okay, <laughs> it looks like a hardback book for yeah. this rinky dinky thing. Betamax is only used in like the television industry still. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That's that's the one place where you'll find a Betamax player. But I mean, yeah. So the, the television and what that was like when I was growing up and. Uh, they used to dub everything into Afrikaans. I don't know if it's, I'm guessing at least one of you will be old enough to remember that. Yes, I, I remember. Okay, so for those of you who don't speak spy, um, what the Obviously, Victoria is older than me, but out of the three of us, out of the three podcast hosts, I am the oldest, which okay. makes me deeply knowing what <laughs> is actually going on when he talks about that. Carry okay, on, so you so you are Deckard Cain. Yes, I am Deckard Cain. Correct. Stay a while and listen. <laughs> um, so, watch it. The SABC TV um, back in back in the eighties. They had this really remarkable idea. They would buy shows from overseas and then dub them into Afrikaans um, to make us think, "Wow, we're producing all these amazing shows." And what they would do is they'd then give themselves away by broadcasting the English soundtrack at the same time on Radio 2000. Mm -hmm. So you would tune in Radio 2000 to listen to the simulcast, the simultaneous broadcast, which I only worked out a year ago when I was listening to simulcast, simultaneous, uh, okay. Sounded <laughs> out, Vic. 
And because it's just one of those words I accept. Oh, it's still cost. It's the same as when someone someone ha has a good cry, they are weeping. Although the word weep is remarkably funny sounding. What happened? He's weep. <laughs> and now every Jane Austen film you're subjected to will always be funny. This is why she's openly weeping. This is well. I was wondering what the smell was. And so yeah, I would. I would I would watch like things like Remington Steel with a remarkably young Pierce Brosnan. Um, this is way before any of the other stuff that he did. I mean, it, it's yeah, it's before he fell down that wormhole that was Mamma Mia. And it's you. He's got some. How do you play James Bond and then do that? So <laughs> for the money. So you got some explaining to do. So. It was watching all these different shows, and then from there, um, getting into computers. I mean, I only bought my first computer. Only uh, let me get this more accurately. I managed to scrape together enough cash to get my first computer in 2000, March of 2000. That's when I. The rest of the time, I was happy to sit at my mate's house or whatever and watch them play and just check out what they did. I mean, I'm happy to watch people play games because I was always more interested in the storylines. So. Mm. Yeah, and then from there, the internet finally arrived, and it was slow as ass. I mean, to, yeah, when the internet used to scream. Because, I mean, there was a 56K modem. The 56K modem is three to four times slower than the edge signal, edge data signal on a cell phone. I mean... It's 56 kinds of cock! Yeah. <laughs> and then the book came out much later. I mean, you know. And... So yeah, I mean the the, the whole full, the whole uh, one man is is that it's about my experience of geek growing up as a geek, things that I experienced, um, and like the stuff that I geek out about. I mean I'm a, res a, a pro wrestling fan or have been, as if the shirt didn't give that away, um, and I'm still I'm still more of a fan of the classic era of, era of WWF and the Attitude era. It's where it still felt like it had a soul before it became this corporate mm. beast that cannot be fed. Mm. I mean, <laughs> how they unofficially bribed the Trump administration to stay open in Florida when everybody else was under lockdown, that was just special. And then Jeez, within the same week, fired a whole bunch of people and let them go and retrenched people to save money. I was like, oh, well, all that money was needed for the payoff. <laughs> but yeah, I think my favorite, like one of the points that I was... I was, I was, I spoke about in the show was, um, I got diagnosed with ADHD two years ago. Now, when you're 43 and you have ADHD, that's pointless information. Yeah, you can <laughs> yeah, take yeah. meds to get you more focused, but I mean, 20 years ago, that might've been useful information. I could have studied harder. Mm. I could have been somebody, <laughs> but it's, I mean, I said, I say it in the show is that when you find yeah. out you have ADHD, yeah. All you can do at 41 is find your old high school teachers that are still alive and say, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, and then just movies that had a massive impact on me. Uh, music has always had a massive impact on me and yeah, all these different things. So the core thing for me with being a geek was always, um, it was television, film, music, some video games, but I mean, I, I spent most of my, my early gaming experiences were in the games arcades. Um, where you used to be charged 20 cents for a game. Mm. And now it's two rand. Five rand sometimes. 
Yeah, it's yeah, but I mean, it depends on yeah, it depends on how flash the game is. I remember I was in an arcade, I think it was Monte Cassino, and they had a Pac-Man machine, and it cost one token to play. I was like, one rand? It's Pac-Man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can get this as a ROM online. For free. I never yeah. would. I mean, because that would be evil and nasty yeah. and violates copyright law, but. I mean, one rand? But like, e even, I remember, even oh, if you man. wanted to, like, even if you wanted to buy it legally, it's still like, hmm. you'd be able to pay like maybe 10 rand, depending on what marketplace you go to. Hmm. So like, yeah. one rand is ridiculous, given that you'd be there for like two minutes over a whole game. I mean, I don't care if the screen is enormous <laughs> now. I don't need a big screen to see how badly I'm screwing up. <laughs> I'm perfectly aware of how cock I'm playing. It's, I don't need, I don't need it in quadraphonic sound. It sounds exactly the same when in crappy mono or in quadraphonic sound. <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, I only got that today, by the way. What? I was doing, I was busy pissing her off the other night, going waka 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 and walking off there. And she's like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "I'm being Pac-Man." Didn't get it until she watched Futurama. Today. Oh, I see. I know. I've, I've, I understand that. I've I've had that issue before, where somebody will do something that they say is from something, and then if it's yeah. not exactly the right thing, that's a geek thing, though. Where you go, <laughs> it's 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 not exactly the thing, yeah. so it can't yeah. be right. Yeah. It's it's our that's it's that's... our version of the, you. You have to get it from this region of France, otherwise it's not. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not if it's not the exact um eight bit sound then it is only pseudo 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 pac-man my favorite is the sheer number of knockoffs of arcade games that exist the bootleg ones and where they're like they just went you know what we're just going to change the color nobody will notice <laughs> uh, because like, we're drugs, we're drugs involved in that decision. What I mean, that's the same thing as. Mm -hmm. What Sorry, was your favorite arcade game? Um, favorite arcade games. Uh, Pac-Man. I was useless at. Of the classic ones that I remember, I liked Rygar, even though I was useless at it. Um, I just liked the idea: a man who is more lethal with a shield than I could ever be with a sword. I, just, I love the irony. I didn't know what irony was back then, but it just amuses the hell out of me. Um, yeah, I mean, the fact that he was essentially proto-Captain America, and I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Except he had the sense to attach a chain to his shield, just in case it flew off, and I was like, oh, uh, I, I, sorry, pardon me, Winter Soldier, I have to just go. <laughs> this never happens at home. It's, okay, let's, let's box. So Rygar was cool. Um, I liked Elevator Action, just because, just the idea. It just made me laugh, just the idea of, here's this building, and there's the top of the building, and you see this grappling hook shoot in from off screen. He goes, and the guy like sort of um, zip lines in. And then the rest of the film is him gunning down everybody who works in this building, all of the enemy spies, and stealing crap. So essentially, he's a thief. He's, he's a, a government a government thief. You know, they're called um, operatives. And he steals all the shit, and then his car is waiting in the basement. 
and it's a really crappy like Renault 4 is what it looks like and, and, it just, and there were five levels and that was it and then they made a second elevator action game that had this anime theme to it well uh, J- a japanimation style feel to it and the game was purposefully designed that you could never finish it um the creators of the game admitted to this years later that um it's i think it's a japanese thing where apparently that i stand corrected but they said something about oh no it was designed um to teach people about failure i was like dude i'm pumping my allowance into a machine that gives nothing back to me except a momentary thrill of conquest i think i'm already learning about failure <laughs> we knew um, we knew yeah so i mean my favorite arcade games there were a bunch of them there was the there was that star wars game that came out we had had the joystick that stuck out of it where you could actually do a lightsaber battle do you guys remember that one what that no. one was freaking awesome because that. it would show you the screen directions that you had to swipe in order to defend and to attack and that and if you managed to get through all the three missions there was an additional section of another space battle that i never knew existed until i did a review on the game years later and I was just like, why do you hide these things from me? Why? It's like, I, I love that. I remember finding a thing on YouTube. It's like secret Easter eggs and endings in games that people only found like decades later. And I was like, after five years, and no one's found it. Quit being a dick and release that information. Because that will create more interest in your game and boost sales. Yeah. Uh, I mean, because yeah. I, I walk into arcades now and I, I don't really recognize half the games. And the ones that I do, I mean, House of the Dead is always hilarious. It taught me that apparently you can mow down more zombies by holding the gun over here and just doing this with the trigger and then occasionally reloading. Like, as I'm going, where are they carrying all these sodding bullets? You would need a small truck to carry all these bullets. And then you could just drive the truck over everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, the I love that. Throwing <laughs> just just doing the rambo things yeah, and yeah right. let him think he's let him think he's hitting stuff we'll just fucking launch mortars and things but yeah i mean arcades i think made a small a small university fund out of me or rather my parents let's be honest and yeah it's she's uh, favorite arcade games yeah that's a long list a lot of it is the retro <laughs> stuff and what have you been playing like recently recently um i just finished rise of the tomb raider or as i like to call it that son of a bitching game um (laughs) the number of times that you know after the fourth time that you don't grab the right platform and lara falls into this abysmal pit and i was just going i think i'm just gonna leave you there (laughs) because clearly i will do less harm to you than than if i if I take control here, how about you just do what you do? Cause clearly you know what you're doing and mm. I'll pay for all of the weapons so that you have them. And then you decide, cause clearly I have no, there's times when I wanted to apologize to Laura because it's like, I'm sorry, I should have known better. I shouldn't have done that. But I mean, what does irritate me about the game is um, the pointless fetch quest. Uh, it's my pet peeve in all the games. It's like, all the games. okay, so, you're Death trying Stranding. to find sorry Death Stranding must have killed you oh no I've, 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 my machine is not powerful enough to play such things <laughs> good sir 
It is so. I am but a mere surf. I do not have 25,000 Rand to upgrade a PC to the level where I could play such things. And I'm sure as hell not going to buy a PS4. Or an Xbox then. <laughs> if you no, I made the choice to get a computer. And that's that the last console I got was a PS3. And that's because somebody gave it to me. Um, and I use it for a DVD player and to surf Netflix. <laughs> no, 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 no. Still getting no. used out of it. Um, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, my favorite thing about yeah, annoying fetch quests. The thing that got on my nerves is the thing of so you're after the divine source, a thing that can grant immortality and a blah blah. And there's the this trinity that's trying to get it all this. But while we're here in this village, Lara, could you take these five pumpkin gourds and throw them in a barrel up there for <laughs> no sodding reason other than XP? <laughs> I mean, the other people in this village who have just survived an attack by Trinity and have been mowed down by attack helicopters and renter mercenaries. <laughs> what the hell is she doing? Is she throwing our pumpkin crop into a fucking barrel? Why is this trollop here? Can we please, can we please punish her? And so now I've decided, look, what I did was I opened up Steam and I said, okay, what in your Steam library haven't you played? My God, that's a long list. Let's start at the top. So now I'm, play now I'm playing Alan Wake, or as I like to call it, Ode to Stephen King. Because, I mean, I'm looking at the opening is a really hard sell on Stephen King. It's like they're wearing their heart on their sleeve and their spleen as well. And, uh, you know, it's, it's fun and all, but I mean, full disclosure, when I play games, if uh, I play single-player games, I never play multiplayer. I do not play well with other people. I, I find that multiplayer is a violation of the rules of geek. You're a solitary person uh, until you find someone that you your 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 bits match their bits, and your crazy is on the same wavelength, and then you decide to be crazy together. Then the two of you can play together in many ways. But yeah, I don't play multiplayer. Um, I play single player games and when I do, if I can, I will use cheat codes and game trainers. Why? Because uh, I do not have time to faff about, I want to finish the damn thing because I'm interested in the storyline. Yeah. And yeah. when there's, I mean, I felt after playing Rise of the Tomb Raider, I felt genuinely offended when I'm playing Alan Wake and there's stuff that you have to collect. It doesn't do anything. It's just an achievement. And I was like... <laughs> Don't blame me to evil, whatever you do. <laughs> you, oh, yeah, no, I remember that. It was like, let me get this right. I have to collect a hundred coffee thermoses for this achievement. A hundred. Um, Why do you need First of all, <laughs> what forgetful coffee-holic is wandering, what ADHD-infected coffee-holic is wandering around Nightmare Town, leaving these coffee pots just lying around? Well, I know I'm forgetful, so I'll just leave a ton of them lying around, and then I'll, just, I'll always be able to find coffee somewhere. And then there's, you, you have to find the manuscript pages, which I find interesting because it, a lot of it, it, you know, warns you as to what's going to kill you later on, mm -hmm. which I find an interesting storytelling mechanic. It's like, <laughs> listen, um, we don't want you to be too surprised. So if you're a little bit curious mm -hmm. and you dig around, you'll find these pages that completely spoil whatever monster's about to jump scare mm -hmm. you. So, halala. Um, but, I mean, Alan Wake's amusing. I do love the fact that a, a flare gun becomes a grenade launcher. <laughs> if you manage to shoot one of the nasties, what are they called? The Taken. So it's just an army of shadowy Liam Neesons. 
and you take the the flare gun and they come in and you shoot them and they freaking explode i'm going if i was alan wake i'd look at the flare gun and go <laughs> what are you made out of paper mache and primer stoves what? <laughs> i just and it's not like they they freaking team rocket blasting like <laughs> and they shoot up in the air i'm going did i just send a hunter to mars what the hell is in this thing but yeah look it's i find it interesting i mean it took me a while to get into it story-wise because i you know there's moments where you just keep rolling your eyes but i find that if you if you don't know stephen king you'll enjoy the game more i think the alan wake game is probably a nice um, introduction to the works of stephen king um but yeah, it's 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 a lot like the solo, the Han Solo movie. The less you know about Star Wars, the more enjoyable you'll find it. <laughs> Unlike like the last three movies that Disney has made. Uh, yes. Next question, Kes. The the storylines of games and things like that. Do you still do script writing? <sighs> Um, yeah, when I can, um, when it comes along. Uh, the last show I was working on was a celebrity gossip um, show called The Real Gorboza on SCBC One. Uh, dude, did you lose feeling in your arm, or are you pretending to be one of those toy cranes in the arcades that never gives you anything? <laughs> well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to grab a hand, but it's, it's, it's not coming. Up <laughs> wait, wait, I think I got it. Ah, uh, no. Wait, wait, there it is. There it is. I got the hand. <laughs> so when you grab the hand and it does not wish to come with you, you have a hand of your own, you know. Well, I've I... heard tell you have two. <laughs> Sorry, I try not to do the as a, an approximation of the Bane voice. I love the Bane voice. I'm sorry, but South Park stole that ruined it for me, though. <laughs> Darkness is your friend. You shall you not touch luck with my wife, Mr. UPS man. To this day, dude, whenever I see Bane, that's all I can think of. You shall not have slept oh, with our wife. Oh, when we see UPS man. Which we see a lot, yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> see, it's like, you should not yeah. have slept your lives, Mr. UPS man. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's one of those weird freaking experiences where it, where a popular icon will be tweaked somehow, and then that's all you remember. Like you know, a yeah. funny version of a song, and then whenever the actual song plays, after all, you don't recognize the actual song because you only know the version you were taught. Yeah, like, it's, like without fail. <laughs> that that um, my my Mr. This year Annie can go maybe yes. <laughs> when when you actually hear American Pie, you'll be like, "What the hell is this? Is that a rip It's off not even funny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. But yes, um, so script writing is whatever whenever it comes along. Um, just before <laughs> funny funny thing. Just before the lockdown hit, I was in the process of auditioning to be the scriptwriter for a travel show. Well, it's not really a travel show. It's it's basically about clean living and whatnot. Um, yeah, ironic that I'd be writing this. But it's basically um, it's a company that makes uh, specialized animal food, and um, they will send a crew to the places that they source all the ingredients from and basically to show that these are the people that um, we source it from. These are their stories. Um, 
uh, yeah, and whatever. And so it would be these five minute or three minute clips on YouTube and they do a series, a season. And I was going to audition to do that. And I mean, script writing goes pretty much in any direction. I think writing on sitcom was still some of my favorite things to do. It was about two years ago I wrote on the last sitcom I did. And it's weird how you can get into a rhythm for writing sitcom. I mean, when I need, I, I was never a fan of watching friends all that much, especially it's weird. The older you get, there are certain seasons I think that resonate with you. Um, I can't watch the first seasons of friends because I find them remarkably insipid. The characters, I mean, and I forget, I used to be like that to a degree. Oh, did you just injure your man? She sat on my leg, my wallet's there, and, well, let's just say the wallet dug into my thigh. Ow. This euphemism brought to you by... <laughs> the internet. Yes. So, yes. So, um, then, like, when I needed to get into the right mindset to watch sitcom, I would watch um, some stuff from The Cosby Show. I would watch Friends because it, it puts you in the right rhythm for how it works. Watching The Simpsons will put you into a very specific mindset for watch for creating an excellent type of humor up until about season seven. The, yeah. the way oh, yeah. that they used to chain together all these gags that were just bang, 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 bang. And I mean, it's like, it's a minute or something where there's six gags, just bang, bang after each other, all building up to this big punchline. And I just sit there going, wow. I mean, I appreciate it more now because it's part of the craft. And I'll watch that and go, whoa, these people are good. So, I mean, if you're, if you're into, if you want to do script writing, then watch, learn from your favorite shows is the advice that I can give there. Um, things that you, things that are definitely good, that you know are good, that even the critics agree with you and your general consensus. That's an easy way to figure out, okay, so this is how I'm going to write. And then getting the sample scripts, that was that was interesting. I mean, I got, uh, many years ago, it was about 1997, I got a hold of a first draft of the original Crow script. And okay. there were characters in it that were removed. There's a character called the Skull Cowboy. The Skull Cowboy works in conjunction with the Crow. And um, he makes a brief appearance, I think, in the TV series that was done. But Skull Cowboy is one of those characters that I was like, uh, I, was, I was looking at the stuff that he says. I mean, when you read the actual graphic of the crow, that's also um, there are some comic books that are also incredibly well scripted and incredibly well storyboarded. And you just go, this is whoever did this is a genius. Like you can see that they either write in a different field as well, or they have a specific artistic style. I was like Warren, Warren Ellis and Garth Ennis. The two of them are like the yin yang for me because um, I think it's Warren Ellis. I think it's um, I'm probably getting the name wrong. Goth uh, is it Goth Ennis. Ennis is 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 I think the slightly more jolly one. And um, Ellis is like extreme. Uh, to give you an idea, it's like the crossed. The crossed works because the two of them sort of work well. It's, it's, I'm sorry, my ADHD is all over the place. I know I have to Google this. Give me a second. Yes, I'm uh, actually Googling something on live I TV. You get to watch Vittorio Google things. Damn Skippy, because I'd rather be right than faff about in the shadows. Okay, so Garth Ennis wrote The Crossed. 
him and uh, Yasin Yasin Burrows. Um, it's dark as all hell. And then on the other side of it, you've got Warren Ellis. Warren Ellis has got like his own stuff. I mean, you know, some of the stuff he produces. If you watch the way the two of them write, the themes that they use, um, the way things are storyboarded, the way stuff is put together. Uh, when, I mean, with, with any script writing, uh, pacing is very important. And just the way that the stuff moves from it's like when you're writing for sitcom, I'm bouncing around now because I, I get excited about ideas and the ADHD kicks in. <laughs> um, when you write sitcom, there's you know, usually three acts. The act one is at the uh, at the end of act one. There's an ad break. And how you write for that is I'm just trying to get the thing you know, from your perspective. So you build up and at the at the end of act one is oh shit. That's it builds up to the oh shit moment. And then you build up to a bigger one at the end of the second act, and then there's the big crescendo. What that's so it's jokes, 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 bada boom, jokes, bada boom. And if you can chain gags together and get a running gag, that's even better. If you can get a callback in to a previous joke and have that show up at the end, that's just astounding. Always love it when that happens. There was a show, ETV showed it for a while. It was called Becca. Uh, Ted Danson played this. It was awesome. There's this really, for those of you who've never seen it, it was this really grumpy doctor working in a, a local clinic. Mm. And Becker is just this, he's like the Grinch if he was a doctor. <laughs> and there was an episode where, like, there's this running gag, it's, it's a sight gag that they keep referring to where he goes, he's got this air horn in his hand, or it's in his pocket or something, and he's like, this is... And they'll keep asking him, what is that? He says, oh, that's just my air horn. And he puts it away. And, it's just, and, you know, it's never explained. Not once. And then as the credits are rolling at the end, there's a scene where it's rolling next to him and he's in the scene where he picks up the phone and says, hello? Do I want to change my long-distance service carrier? Please hold. <laughs> Thank you for calling. Click. I fell out of my chair. I was wheezing. I couldn't stop. I just, you know, when you just, you've run out of air from laughing. It's, and it's just one of those, if you can have a joke that just, Pwah! that is awesome. That's, but yeah, script writing is wherever I can get it. It's um, mm. whenever it comes up and it's become very much a game of, if you can find it, awesome i mean probably the weirdest thing i ever helped was to help proof a pitch script for takalani sesame wow yes no. this guy <laughs> takalani sesame and like most white people that's as much as i know because that's when they switch into vinac that's when they yeah. switch into to something else have you considered at some point writing a novel and what genre would you write it in you should say that i've been working on and off on a novel for about the last two years and my procrastination is the only thing that's stopping me from doing it and just um running out of steam when it comes to writing because i mean i write eight to ten sometimes 12 hours a day five days a week then mm. the weekend comes and i'm just literally exhausted and no word of a lie uh there have been times where monday is approaching i just sit there going oh geez no please man yeah. no I, I just can i just it's like five more minutes mom it's like one more weekend please mom yeah. and so like one of the things writing this novel has taught me a couple of things 
have an ending in mind when you write it. This thing is, um, I'd, how would I describe it? I suppose it's a type of urban fantasy. Um, and the whole premise of the story revolves around what you see is not necessarily what's there. Uh, I've touched on this world in two of the short stories I wrote before. I, was, I mean, I did have some stuff published. I was there, these um, anthologies that I wrote for. First one I wrote for was called Phoenix Fire, which was very cool. That was the only sci-fi themed one that I wrote. And there's been a few people that have said to me, dude, you should carry on writing in that genre. It, 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 what you did works and it, it, it's really cool. And that was always amazing to hear. That's fantastic feedback to get for an, uh, when you're an author. Um, then there was um, one called Wand, which um, relates back into this into this world that I'm creating in the novel. And then there's one called um, The Grey Man, which also exists in that world. It's it's also dark fantasy. And uh, yeah, it's, there's been one other short story I've written that hasn't been published yet, um, which was based on an interview I did with a former South African policeman. Um, we sat down and over the space of about two hours, he, I asked him about <clears throat> some of the stuff that he saw, some weird stuff that he saw on the job. And he told me a whole bunch of stuff that was just mind bending, things that he saw on duty, guys that they would chase down, people that just vanished without a trace. Um, like the one thing that they saw was they chased the student to a derelict building and they followed, there was so much sand and dust in the building that it was easy to follow him. So they followed his footprints and eventually it led them to an open elevator shaft. And they looked. No blood, no bones, no bodies, nothing. Um, they don't know where he went. Um, as far as they could tell, the elevator doors were all sealed. And yeah, some of the stuff that he told me about, like there's places in the CBD that in Johannesburg that were considered... Off, not off limits to the police, but if you were going to go in there, you had to go in at full platoon strength, and you had to go in in full unit gear, you know, machine guns, helmet, body armor, the whole shubangi. And the the nickname that he gave that place, he said, is called Dark City, because it's a section of of the CBD where all those buildings don't have power running into them. They're all abandoned, derelict buildings. No power going into them. It's it's pitch black, and if you have to chase a suspect in there keep your wits about you, go in as platoon strength. Everybody carries those ridiculously bright flashlights, which uh, actually it's this one. This was his. He gave it to me before he left. Um, no longer lives in South Africa. So it's one of those tack lights where switches it on stupidly bright. If you leave it on for 15 minutes, that's your battery. So it becomes your very own survival horror. And yeah, so I mean, I definitely would like to finish writing this story, um, but I don't know if the same is for the three of you, when you create, when you need, are in a creative space, you need to be in the right headspace to produce this stuff. It's not something you can do on command. Um, I recently, yes, yeah, it's not, it doesn't go well. It doesn't sound right. I think um, recently I had to, I was asked by uh, my publisher, Kellen, lovely, lovely lady. It's a group's called uh, Sarah Blue Publishing. Sarah Blue, yeah. And yeah, so Kellen asked me, um, look there's this short story well it's a novella um we would like it if you could you beta read it and i was under the impression that i was doing the first pass it was only afterwards that i realized this is like the second or third pass 
and apparently the points I was raising, this dude was still making these mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that was, I can understand how that happens because I can remember the first short story I wrote, uh, when I it's called What Remains. When I first wrote that, it's again the laziness and the procrastination are two of the worst things that can happen to you as a writer, because it's not just about writer's block. It's a thing of you have to be prepared to murder your darlings. Your first draft is not your last draft. You can't be precious about what you're writing, so you can't try to get it right. Just write mm. it and get it out. And if you yeah. can succeed in doing that, please tell me how. So I wrote it, got my feedback, and um, Natalie Rivener, who was uh, the publisher and also one of the writers at the time of this collection, she said to me, look, getting your first batch of feedback can be a bit rough, so here's what you should do. Get the feedback, read it, and then walk away from it for four days. Just leave it alone. Two or three, three maybe four days. Five days later, I was still pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> and I was genuinely having an argument with my wife. It's like, screw this shit. I don't want to do this. And it was a battle with my lazy and dealing with the fact that I'd been lazy in my writing. And she said, do you honestly not want to do this anymore? I said, no. I said, then don't. And then Catholic guilt took over and said, get your ass back in there. Finish your freaking story, fat boy. And so I went in and I did what I was supposed to and... The story came out beautifully. It's still one of my—it's still my favorite, one of my favorite stories I've ever written, if not the favorite. And uh, <laughs> if you've ever produced anything that's even got a touch of personal stuff in it, it's weird how quickly it starts to become like therapy. Like um, <laughs> personal issues that I had showed up in that story big time, and I just remember sitting there going, "Uh huh. Well, it's cheaper than a therapist, I guess." <laughs> so yes hopefully at some point I mean this is how my laziness works I will finish the story and go finally it's done and it's published and then the sense of dread comes over me and says oh geez, I have to do it again don't I Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and that's why you have to love what you do because yeah. it's, it's like doing stand up if you don't love what you do you have to keep going back and the next night, the next night, and the next night. If you're doing a two-week run and you're not feeling it, the audience will pick up on it immediately. If it yeah. feels like you phoned in whatever performance or whatever writing that you did, audience yeah. will pick up on it and they might not know what it is that got on their nerves, but they'll know something got on their nerves and they won't like you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. On that yeah. segue, we're going to push into mm. what makes a good video game or movie what makes a good video game or movie um it's design um have a decent ending first of all if your characters aren't alive that's another thing they have to feel alive they have to be relatable um your character arc can't be a straight line um being remarkably visually appealing and um breakthrough stylistically yeah if you if it's Visually, a masterpiece, which is a word they love banding about. I see a lot of that with walking simulators. Um, 
It's like a visual masterpiece, a feast for the senses. I work as a copywriter. That's what that is. Um, yeah. It's you have to be so careful when you create these things because the problem for produ when producing stuff for mass market is that you have a committee leaning over you, telling you what works and what doesn't work and what their research group has shown works. And I mean, the same thing happens when I do copywriting is that there's an account manager and in the end it goes to the client and client won't know why they don't like it. They'll just tell you that no. And it's, it, it's, it'll be a remarkable kick in the teeth when that happens. So it has to look good. It has to be um, easy enough to play, easy enough in the sense of the controls need to be spaced out in such a way that, you know, if the action key, the jump key, and the dodge key, or whatever, if you're doing this, if you're playing with a keyboard and a mouse, if there are specific places where the crouch, the jump, the dodge, and the run keys and that if there are specific places where those go fine those can be standardized don't start coming up with freaking key combinations that are just stupid so i said okay so if you hold these two buttons together and then sacrifice a goat and if the moon is in the right position <laughs> then the character will do a backflip no yeah. <laughs> that crap went out with the freaking button combinations mm -hmm. on mortal Kombat. i mean i remember uh, look don't get me wrong i've got a great respect for that franchise I played it when the first one came out and the second one came out. But I still clearly remember when they broke up the finishing move for Sub-Zero into two parts. And I was like, what? Why? I mean, there was a time when literally to do a move for Kano, I think it was Kano, you, you literally, I think you just did this, you rotated the control stick really fast and he would do that spin through the air. That was it. Mm. I was it? And I mean, there was one, the finishing move of Sub-Zero, I still remember, it was something like back, back, down, forward, high punch, forward, down, forward, forward, low kick or high kick or something. And that did the freeze and smash finishing move. Um, as a generation that was just discovering ADD, <laughs> we did not have the attention span to discover that by accident because there wasn't an internet where you can just find the stuff. I somewhere still have old gaming magazines that had those in it. So yeah, that's how I learned. So keep your control system intuitive. Um, keep your political agenda out of the damn game. I agree. Okay. Um, if you, if you, um, the current movement is to um, create girls girl, games designed to bring women into gaming i get that you still have to have a good storyline character still has to have a story arc and this happens in comedy as well the best com comedians are comedians who happen to be female instead of a female comedian so because the end in the end funny's funny mm. um the same with a character it's a character it doesn't matter that they're female the you know there's certain aspects of the of being a woman is not the same as being a man so the way a character that is female is written is not the same as the way a male is written in the novel that i'm working on 
um, there was a scene where there's a 14-year-old girl that's in it. Now, because my wife teaches that age group and many others, I said, I wrote this and I said, does this sound genuine to the way that this type of kid would react? And so if you don't know, ask. Um, I will never write a character that is transgender because unless I've got a team of transgender people who can tell me if this is accurate or not, I'm not going to go down that way because it would sound disingenuous. And that's the other thing. Does your character sound genuine when they speak and genuine in their behavior? Um, you can't suddenly have a face turn for no bloody reason. This is not WWE. <laughs> um, not unless you really want to piss off the players. Because, yeah. I mean, uh, apparently that was... I haven't played Shadow of the Tomb Raider yet, but apparently that was one of the big criticisms of it, that Lara is constantly... You know, she the, the only reason she's at odds with the people that she's fighting against is that she's trying to steal the same thing that they're trying to steal. Yeah. Mm. That's it. Yeah. But, there is then there's no reason for the people to get emotionally invested in your character just because they've seen you in two other games or several however many other games um because you say so is not a good enough reason for me to like the character yeah i mean if there's existing canon don't ignore it if you're going to use the canon don't cherry pick from it when it's convenient for you and then ignore other stuff because then immediately um it raises red flags um it happened with the last predator movie one of the many problems with the last predator movie where the fact that two of the soldiers are gay became this massive thing they do in the story and then they snap it away in the space of 15 minutes like it, it was a, it was hugely done in the film and then it's just the, the, they literally toss these plot lines away it's like, well, we've filled up five minutes of airspace and we've ticked that um, political agenda box. And so we're going to yeah. toss that away and toss that away. If you're going to bring in themes, use the themes that we always have struggled with. Um, the Seven Deadly Sins are a good guide. Like pride, gluttony, wrath, sloth, envy, greed, um, yeah, lust. That those are all driving forces behind characters. Those are the seven big driving forces for the stuff that we do. Um, you can have someone who is really good and who experiences a fall but manages to bring themselves back and at least redeem themselves somewhat. That happens in L.A. Noir. The writing in L.A. Noir is, is incredible. And it's one of those many games where the question's been asked, why is there not a sequel? It's as well, if you've ever played the damn thing, it's a long-ass game to play and it's not Final Fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. We're far too busy rebooting old old games exactly. to create any new ones. I mean, um, uh, I keep screwing up the, the, the name for this game whenever I say it. Um, Samora Sacrifice, I think it is. Samora Sacrifice. Samora Sacrifice. Yes. So that game proved what could be done with what you have. I mean, it is it is one of those games where it takes stuff like depression and suicide, and it's it's not a set piece. The character felt alive. That is what you're aiming for. I mean, granted, yes. I mean, Bulletstorm, you're not you're not going to get Tolstoy out of this, but it still has to be a fun game. And I would love to see a storyline where there's a female protagonist or a female 
um, co-starring character where her only character trait is spunky. I'd love to see that stop. Mm. It's like, dude, just having an attitude doesn't dictate a character's structure. That just, after a while, makes you annoying. Um, you know, if you're gonna have, if you're gonna have the cool one-liners and stuff, okay, great, that's your character. Mm. But understand, then the comic relief gets killed. Um, yeah. yeah, that's just how it is. I, I would love to see that. So with films, with TV, with video games, um, I would love to see people creating games again because they love doing it. Yeah. And not um, we're trying to become bazillionaires by the time we're forty, or by, by the time we're thirty. I mean, like yeah, Boot Fighter, it isn't a deep game, but it's fun. <laughs> it's a silly ass game, and it's fun. It's like, yeah. yes, like, like Final Fantasy. Look at look at the remake and look at the whole game. Mm. I harp about this all the time because I can't stand the fact that Square Enix are greedy little turds. But um, look at look at Final Fantasy VII when it originally came out. The characters like Tifa. She was. Yeah. She was a spunky character. That's mm. it. She yeah. was that spunky character that would like always try and cheer Cloud up and make him happy. And then you know you had Yuffie, which is pretty much the same thing, but just like more spunky. <laughs> but those are the good old characters, and that's what you look for when you. Well, that's what I look for when I play games. You know, it's it's, it's characters that just like other or as stoic as Cloud is, or as spunky as Tifa and Yuffie, you know, they're, they're just, mm. they just make you smile for no reason. They, no, the thing is also... I like that character. <laughs> yeah, because well, that's the thing, though, is that what they're doing now is, and it is the way that writing is moving, is that we are slowly growing up. It's that we're bringing more adult themes into games. But mm. in the end, I think at some point, when we're trying to make an epic story with a more adult storyline, we have to still remember that the guy's hair is three foot high and he's carrying a sword that weighs more than my house. Yeah. Um, yeah. At, at some point your bullshit alarm has to go off and go guys we're not really in the real world here are we yes because if those rinky dinky arms can raise that freaking sword this dude can bench press a bulldozer <laughs> basically strong man strong yes. man yeah, for cardio not even yes. for yeah. yeah I mean it's, it's so that's that's what I would like to see I mean with uh, you know, it's at the end of Rise of the Tomb Raider. I I knew what was going to happen with the end scene um, because they had already lifted the entire storyline of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, <laughs> but no worries. Uh, okay. He's going to go yell at the kids who are playing Final Fantasy, the new one. <laughs> So, <laughs> just gonna get off my lawn. It's me. My wife says that's gonna be me. I'm gonna be one of those. Get off my lawn. So, um, the ending of the game came, and I was like, mm, okay. So I just finished this long ass game, and it's basically the middle film. <laughs> and I knew that was what was going to happen. And like an idiot, I ran straight into it. It was the middle film. <laughs> and it's not Empire. It's not Empire Strikes Back, the middle film. It's the second Matrix movie, the middle film, <laughs> which is now going to be just the second film because there's now going to be another one. Uh, 
it's you know that it's that that where the ending doesn't feel satisfying where it's there are ways to make the middle film feel like it's an ending anyway like it's Mm. it's reached this moment of achievement i mean the main macguffin that's in rise of the tomb raider it gets maybe what a minute of screen time if that yeah and I mean, I would have loved it. Just, I mean, I thought it would have been funny if, as an alternate ending, whatever species created that thing takes the device and changes it and says, no, you had it set to stun. Or just it, that whatever it belongs to. Because, I mean, it's literally that ending is Indiana Jones 4 and The Last Crusade, where they had this weird sort of extraterrestrial vibe to it. Plus, it's also this MacGuffin that grants eternal life, but blah, blah, blah. And it's, I remember it's been a long while since I played a game where at the end of it, I just I sort of leaned back and I was like, shit, okay. Oddly enough, the, f- the time that I felt that was at the end of Tomb Raider, the, you know, the first reboot. And I was like, this has a genuine ending to it. And then playing Rise, I realized this entire ending battle scene is almost the carbon copy of what happened in Tomb Raider in the previous one. And it's the same problem. I mean, Yahtzee from Zero Punctuation points this out. The the problem with Call of Duty, when they made the second Call of Duty, they then tried to find another shock value thing. And then they tried to get another shock value thing. And then eventually it's just, you're expecting it. It's mm. like the twist ending in an M. Night Shyamalan film. Mm. Um, it worked really well in Sixth Sense. Um, the Visit is quite good. If you haven't gotten a chance to see it, it's it's creepy for all the right reasons. I just that yeah, it gets under your damned skin. <laughs> and yeah, it, it's that thing where people are now expecting a twist ending, and so you know, as a twist ending, you make a shit film. That'll always get them off guard. <laughs> so, I, I mean, like, Kez, what, what, what game did you last play that you were like seriously blown away by? Or, like, what book did you read that did that for you? Um, well, game, I actually haven't finished it yet, but uh, two that definitely make me go hurt is Hellblade um, and Murdered. Um, Murdered is... Oh, oh yes. Not, not that bad. And I, granted, I haven't finished either of them yet. I'm mm. just looking at the games. Um... But those two definitely have that huh, interesting feel mm. to them. Um, yeah, book, books, I don't really read that. Books is, is them. Those goddamn yeah. kids! <laughs> I got them! Those goddamn kids! <laughs> and our controlling agent? Dude, what last game did you play? Uh, me. Uh, him. Me. We'll get to you. <laughs> Jeez, what did I play last? It's difficult. That's the sign. That's yeah. the sign you're starting to adult when you can't remember yeah, the last game yeah. you played. What was actually the last game that I played that was like a story and not like? Because mm. obviously the last player game game I played I played this morning, which was Civilization Six, but that doesn't have much of a story. No, but that, that, <laughs> yeah. but, it, it, but that it is does, not though. history you itself. Your own story. Yeah. 
Um, but the thing is, I like, remember I, watching a friend of mine play yeah. like one of the first Civilization games, and I was mm. fascinated by it. It's it's amazing. I love them. It's amazing. But the, the thing is, like, I haven't really felt the same in terms of story, the same feeling that I've felt since playing The Witcher Three. It's been like a uh, okay. long time since I felt mm. like giddy, yeah. like a child, you know, when it comes to playing yeah. a game. <laughs> Um, but so, that's cool though I mean yeah. no I mean I can remember it's on the many list of things I have the games mm. but haven't played them yet what blew me away about The Witcher what got my attention is that lullaby trailer that they do that cinematic trailer mm. which I know cinematic trailers don't show anything about the game it's just it's literally marking marketing wank but mm. that song is creepy on such a level and you but the thing is it's a a big thing for me with music is the same thing i look at with film and with with anything that has a storyline i look at the content of the lyrics and sometimes when you you have a favorite song and then you one day you read the lyrics and you go oh wow this person's in a lot of pain i mean like uh, was it um van halen the song jump it's about suicide is yeah. literally what the song's about and it took people ages to figure that out because some yin yang finally freaking read the words um <laughs> and the same as the song for that song of the witcher the the the, the lullaby that song is terrifying because you realize this is the point of view of the things that he hunts yeah. um it's the same as i am legend the ending it was supposed to have where um you know the idea that it's called i am legend because there are no more people like him only people like the reapers and yeah. that he has become legend because he is the monster he is the thing in the night that they are terrified of that yeah. is i mean supernatural touched on this from time to time the idea that you know a lot of these creatures are just trying to get by they yes. don't me they didn't ask for this some of them were turned some of them were born this way mm. it's like it's like being pissed off with a lion because it hunts a gazelle yeah exactly um because hmm. I mean, there uh, even uh, as I watch now, I mean, I very slowly am working my way through Supernatural. And by season nine, I'm sitting there going, I'm looking at the point of view of the monsters, and I'm going, Dean's a freaking racist. Yeah, <laughs> he hates monsters because they're monsters. Hmm. They're going, wow. Standing then, Sam. Just to- Sam wants mm. to kill everyone. Yeah. Dean is like from their point. Like with Ben. Mm. No, that's the other way around. Dean is the one that shoots everything. Sam is the tall one, Moose. She's in season yeah. nine. Yeah. So you, you, I think, what, what, yeah. I'm in season eight, so that would explain why I don't see that yet. Okay. Yeah. Oh, don't worry about it. I have ADHD. I won't remember. When I when I, when I think of like the the Witcher and like that mm. world that they're in, it reminds me a lot of like um, zombie stories, actually. Because you mm-hmm. learn, like, over the course of the story that the monsters are actually the men. And yeah. the, the monsters' yeah. monsters are just trying to live their lives, you know. But it's men yeah. that There's are really... There's a brilliant yeah. illustration of that. Um, uh, Romero did a film called Land of the Dead. Um, it was before they started doing the zombie movies where it was all first-person, shaky cam, vomit stuff. Um in land of the dead it's now however much time after the initial outbreak and so the humans live in these fortress towers they stay in what is it called um it's not cabrini green anyway so they're in this place and they have searcher teams that go out and get resources for the rich 
bastards who live in the ivory tower and there's this brilliant scene where they find this gas station and so they're just they're just, in, they're just having a look to see okay can we raid this place for supplies is it crawling with too many zombies so they're standing there and they see the first indicators these two zombies go past and if memory serves they're holding hands maybe it's just um the mandela effect that i'm remembering but they walk past and one of them steps on the trigger thing for the old gas stations that ding ding and steps on it and rings and so they just carry on watching and this zombified gas station attendant walks out walks up to the pump pulls out the pump and turns around to look where the car is mm. and you watch this going by it's just the idea that i mean whoever wrote this uh, i think it might have been romero i said they're going they're remembering what they used to be they've now become a new organism and what's the the climax to that scene is that the, like the, the humans are looking at this and the zombies the one of them notices the humans and just turns to another two and goes, and two of them look at him and look in their direction and then all of the other zombies start looking in their direction they don't move they just look at them i was going that's genius yeah that's a brilliant idea the idea that they've now reached a certain level where they formulated their own language um they just they are, a lot of them are stuck in this boot loop where they're living the same moment of their life over and over again yeah and it, it was such an amazing idea that reminds me of one yeah. yeah i was gonna say mm. that was one, brilliant that was very brilliantly written um i thought that it was very they eventually written, became honest. human yeah i mean i think yeah. i think that the the, the the transition and how they suddenly became human again was quite cool i thought that it, mm. it, it built up but they could have they could have done more with it but i mean honestly yeah. it was a damn well, it was it was a a damn well story it. in that aspect mm. so, but that's well, the thing though i mean so much saturation has happened with the whole rebirth as a zombie genre it's been yeah. i think 14 years since max brooks wrote world war z that basically well at least in my mind single-handedly rebooted interest in the zombie apocalypse genre and the irony mm. is that it was the first book that sort of did it and it was the last film made and it was <laughs> it was at the end of uh, and this is a pile of suck <laughs> uh, I, I thought it was hilarious i read an interview with max brooks um he said that uh, when they were making the movie he he called up the publishing company and said, "Listen, when you re-release the book to tie in with the film, make sure that you don't put uh, Brad Pitt on the cover of the book because he's not in it." <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a, in that in that whole interview they did, what he does for a living now, at least what he was doing at that time, he was a disaster preparedness consultant. <laughs> Um, because of the amount of research he did for World War Z and all the stuff around that, that's what he does now. He does talks about, you know, disaster preparedness, what the apocalypse might actually be like. They asked him, like, okay, so the zombies in 28 Days Later run, yours don't. He said, well, I ran the numbers in my head, I ran the probabilities, and my feeling was that if the zombies can run, that's it. There won't even be an apocalypse. We'll get wiped out. Yeah. And I mean, he even mentions it in the novel. If they can run, they can jump. If they can jump, they can climb. If they can climb, there isn't a fortification built that will keep them out. Yeah. Mm. And I mean, that's what 28 Days Later did so effectively. As mm. 
make the idea just the fear and the terror level of what those things can do because it was the first time i think i can remember ever seeing running zombies and mm. it's just like then they made that second film and i barely even remember the bloody thing and it's a shame because there is a graphic novel that is a sequel to 28 days later it was written by the written called london calling and it's ingenious it follows on from the first film um and it's the one of the main characters from the first film she's in norway in a in a like a refugee camp having gotten out i mean all the characters from the first film basically uh, scattered around and she is by on her ace she gets recruited by this american journalist who wants to go back into the hot zone and film what's going on um and so she eventually is convinced to go in not realizing that at the same time there's all sorts of shit going on in the background that directly affects her that she's yeah. she is leading these people into this place into a place that they don't understand how dangerous it is because the outside world is doing the same thing like with the coronavirus hotspot where they don't understand just how dangerous it is inside the hot zone i mean like these people like half imagine this you get this thing this group of filmmakers they take this chicka pen as their guide within five minutes of them crossing into the hot zone half of them are dead jesus because they do stupid shit <laughs> there's two people walking in the distance and they go oh look survivors and she doesn't, she can't stop them in time. She, it's like, you know. And they turn and they wave and these things run at them. Yeah. And I mean, if you ever read a comic book, for something to take three panels and it's on you from being a shape in the distance, that's how fast these bloody things run. And yeah, realize yeah. how long those things have been infected. It was so brilliant. I was, I was sitting there reading this going, oh, this is terrifying. Oh, this is terrifying. Oh, this is bullshit. I never want this to happen ever. It's like any idiot will go, it's like, yay, zombie apocalypse, yeehaw. And then you go, no, fucker, you're under the impression that you're not going to be one of the deads. There's a great line in... Hmm? There's been an accident or something. Oh, dear. Three. Three. If there is an accident or... Or or someone has lost something. You gotta understand, crime is so very low in this country. <laughs> they had, it was a while ago, but it's still funny. <laughs> they had a, the 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 cash was held up at knife point. Knife point. And they got away with the money. In this country, Scotland, they got away with well, I think it was the UK, but they got away with the money being held up at at, at knife point, dude. A cash bag. I think it comes from it comes from your point of view. I mean, if if you live in a place where the crime rate is like is different, then yeah. you're not used to it when it comes visiting. I mean, South Africans have this unique perspective in that we have lived essentially in a hot zone. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, I mean, I've spoken to a few psychiatrists about this, and they said that South Africans have PTSD, and they don't realize it and they don't treat it. Um, yeah. We live under this threat, but I mean, like. So, what was I going to say now? I mean, like, um, there was a story when I was in Ireland. Claire and I went to Ireland for our honeymoon. So we're cruising around, and there was a story on the radio. This came on, and was like a national appeal thing. It says the pedestrian death toll 
is 37 for this year. Yeah. And Claire and I, at the same time, we were in the car, and Claire's driving, and we're both like, and they said, they said, it's 37. And I was just like, and? 37 and? I thought they meant like that month. And they said, the annual pedestrian death toll is 37, up from 32 last year. I was like, <laughs> holy crap. <laughs> you should be so that's, am that's amazing. I mean, there was a thing of a guy on a motorcycle ran down two old bullies who happened to be crossing the road or something like that. And the police were appealing for dash cam footage or witnesses to come forward. This was national news. Yeah. And and then real crime showed up. Well, air quotes, real crime. When it was like, the, I think it was Christmas Eve morning, some local gang member got blown away um, outside of his house. Like a dude walked up and drilled him in the freaking head. I was like, holy shit. Okay, so it's literally from zero to 100. There's no, the, the crime goes zero to 11. There's nothing in between. There's no, there's no build up to it. There's like, yeah. <laughs> so um, I think hopefully I've answered that question of you know, what makes things what I would like to see in a story. Actually, well, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to address something Ziad said here. There's also a few yeah. There are a few questions for you that he also asked. We're going to actually quick fire them at you, but for right now, I need to, do, need to, to address this. He says he disagrees with me. Obviously, me being Ziff on Tifa, they because um, he's played the game a bunch, and both obviously Yuffie. Both are spunky. Tifa and Yuffie are spunky. But they're not only spunky. Okay. I'm going to address this quickly. It's not what I meant <laughs> that they were spunky and that was pretty much their character. What I meant was that made the made them partially who they were. I suppose that the best way to put it is, you know, each as you as Victoria was saying, each character has has something about them that makes them them. You know, and the spunkiness of Tifa and Yuffie makes them them. It's not all they are, but it's something that makes them the characters that they are. Is what mm -hmm. what we're trying to get at at that point. So I think you may you may not have have you may have come in a bit late in the conversation. I don't know, but that's essentially what was was said. So we were just told that dinner is ready. <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway, um, so anyway, yes. that's, that's addressed. Cool. Then, so. Uh, Please tell us more about your stand-up comedy and how it affects the rest of your creative process. Um, I've been very lucky in that one skill that I've learned from stand-up is the ability to produce material for myself and to write. I was very lucky in that my influences in stand-up were people like George Carlin um, and Richard Pryor, Lenny Bruce, uh, Bill Cosby. I mean, the... Um, it was once described the holy trinity of stand-up comedy, at least in America, are Lenny Bruce, Richard Pryor, and George Carlin. Uh, Lenny Bruce I got into much later, but it's a thing of if it wasn't for Lenny Bruce, you wouldn't have George Carlin. George Carlin has this massive and voracious love of words, and that is something I picked up on, and it's stood me in good stead. Um, once upon a time, many years ago, it was like 2006 or so, I won an award from this group that I'd been doing work for called the Trusty Steed Award, which means I was reliable. Um, if that, there was a call, drop of a hat, I'm at a gig, which is what you're supposed to do as a comedian. Um, never turn your phone off. It's like being on call as a doctor. 
like you never know when a gig's going to come and when you're not on stage you're essentially unemployed so comedians it's that thing comedians never go on holiday we're just unemployed um <laughs> until such time as the next gig comes along um so what the other what i got was an award for um always creating material um i was constantly trying to create new material for myself and to work it into such a way that there was material on hand because i mean i was emceeing every week every wednesday and that was a heck of a run that i did it for at this venue in uh yeah in Joburg called uh, tans cafe um which was at that stage in Bryanston. Now, when you're the MC, there was a lot of repeat audience. So you have to generate new material. At least that's the way I took it. You can't just keep doing the same set. Audiences get bored. Um, so one thing that I would do is just, it's, it's helped me go, if I see something, then I'll write it down or I'll take notes in my phone. I'll come up with different ideas. <laughs> and so... Just having such fun. Hey, it's it's cousin it. He kicks in as well, dude. I know how you feel. I've got the same so, as you. So with the stand-up, um, learning to generate material, learning to identify my funny and what makes me laugh and what I see the world as, that is the skill that stand-up has taught me. It's also taught me to be resilient. Um, that if you go on stage and you die on your ass, that's that you just come back the next time and you try again um the thing is that a, a comedian is only as good as their last performance in many ways that's at least people that know you but the reality is also uh you can keep coming back and try again uh a, a, a winning with the a kill, killing with the audience or dying with the audience is not the be all and end all of who you are the point is that you show passion it's it's taught me to show passion for something I love that I develop as fast as I allow myself to develop. So, you know, be being focused and entrenched in what you do, but at the same time, whatever you do, if it's your passion, there's a difference between something being your passion and something becoming a religion. It be very careful that your passion becomes a religion because then you you run the risk of becoming what some people might call a tosser. Or um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's happened. I mean, there's so many people that are seen as um, icons of their industries. What you don't realize is that the more you give yourself over to your craft, the less everything else will be done. Um, and I've seen this with all of my heroes that they were these icons of what they did. George Carlin, um, Richard Pryor, their personal lives suffered for it. And they were, they had their own problems that no one ever knew about because they, it's behind this wall of performance or it's behind this wall of creativity. Like there was a comedian called Richard Jenny, who I've watched several performances of. Nobody knew that he was a manic depressant unless you were close to him. Um, guys who have died from drug overdoses, guys who have committed suicide. Um, you have to, and this is going to sound very new agey, but you have to have a, a more well-rounded approach to it. And something that is that my stand-up has taught me is that when 
Your set is over and you put the mic back. Your shift is over. Obsessing about what could have been, very bad idea because you can't fix it. You can't go back. Leave it alone. You can go forward and try again, but, you know, it's that thing of life. Life is a lesson imperfectly learned. And in the same way, all creative endeavors, uh, be they stand-up or writing or singing or performance or music or whatever it is, um, you need to define your craft. It cannot define you. Yeah. Uh, it is, uh, is it is not a good idea. Mm. Hmm? On that note, Segway. um Hey, <laughs> okay, Haley wants to know how do you how does one balance between passion and the religiousness of the craft? If your if the thing you're passionate about is eventually the only thing you talk about, you become remarkably one-dimensional. Um, you need to have other interests purely to give your brain a break from what it is you're doing. Um, and I find that when I step away, I mean, it happens now when I do copywriting. Um, if I can't figure out how to say something, then this was the advice um, that my mate, well, Christo is my mentor. Christo said to me, if, if you're trying and you, it can't come out and you can't get the words out, don't force it. Stand up, walk away. Go for a walk in the garden, play with your cat, play, you know, play a video game, watch something else and, you know, do something different and let, let the ideas come to you. Um, obsessing over the minutia of things is fine if you're into bomb disposal, but unless it's a life threatening thing, um, work on getting something, crafting something that it's okay. Yeah, I've made this thing. Like knowing when to stop is a great thing. That That's one of the hardest things you'll do being a creative is knowing where to stop and then going, okay, so this is my first thing. What do you people think about it? And then come back. And then it'll be, it might not be what you originally envisioned, but it's one way to stop your passion from overtaking everything about you. I mean, how many times have you seen in stories where someone's passion completely consumed their lives? William Birkin in Resident Evil 2 comes to mind. Um, oh, it's, God, yes. it's, like, Darth Vader is one of those characters where they finally painted him in different shades of black, where he's got different levels to his character now. Mm. Um, he was a monochromatic villain that even yeah. then is redeemed but his obsession with the power of the sith is tempered by the fact that he rediscovers the love of his son and the love of a daughter that he will never get to know and he remembers what it was that made him human before he went into this giant suit so um basically that was like be very careful yeah it's it's be very careful um if you suddenly find that you're spending more time with your creations than you are with your friends and your family and your loved ones, you need to step away. Yes. It'll still be there. Trust me. The ghosts that haunt you will not, will, won't go too far away, but you've got to yeah. give them a break as well. All right. So yes. let's, let's, let's push away from morbid. <laughs> yeah. And then more, 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 um, let's raise more the energy here. Get some positivity back in our lives. 
I'm actually watching that now. I found the two seasons of Mystery Incorporated, which is brilliant. It's a completely different take on Scooby-Doo. It's such a good laugh. Uh, yeah, that's mm-hmm. what we wanted to actually ask you. Since you're watching yes. it, um, why Scooby-Doo? Um, I was fascinated by the change in the art style and also that they were trying to give these characters um, a life. I mean, Scooby-Doo got created in like 1968. And I realized that uh, it took me ages to find out what Sco- what Shaggy's full name is. Norville Shaggy Rogers, for those of you who wanted to know. Um, they, it's never been explained where Scooby-Doo came from. It's one of those things that I don't think needs to be explained. It's the same as you don't need to know why Han Solo's name is Han Solo. Mm-hmm. Um, it was one of those things that didn't need explaining. Um, like who Daphne Blake is and why she is the way she is and who her family is like. Um, and then Freddie Jones, like his full name is Freddie Jones Jr. So when you find out about, you find out about, they create this town called Crystal Cove. I don't know if it's ever existed in the other stories, but the premise of the Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated um, two seasons is that you had, um, they live in Crystal Cove. They're high school students in Crystal Cove. Crystal Cove's banner is the most haunted place on earth. (laughs) Um, And weird stuff happens in Crystal Cove, but none of it's real monsters. What they did with those two seasons is they created an overarching story, the meta plot. And, and well, yeah, I mean, it's, and then they explain the whole thing of how they get the name mysteries incorporated. Um, Why it is they do the things they do. Why, like Freddie has, and they've said, okay, so Fred's always the one trying to come up with traps. So we're going to give him this mad obsession with traps. We're going to give him this actual relationship with Daphne that he doesn't realize is there. Because even though they, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a bit, quite a bit more grown up. One of the funniest scenes to me is Velma. She's writing on her blog or something and she's typing away says so no mysteries to report uh, this evening spook fans i'm just sitting here home alone like any teenager should on a friday night and she breaks her wireless keyboard and off she goes throws it aside picks up a new one and starts typing as there there's such brilliant little gags like that in it i mean they're in the big museum devoted to all the previous cases that they investigated and in the museum is a statue of scrappy doo and daphne goes Oh, wow. I haven't thought about him. And then Fred goes, no, 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 no. We made a promise. We don't ever talk about him. And they walk away. They don't even say his name. And it's just going, that's just freaking twisted and sinister in many ways. That and also the fact that one of my favorite comedians, Lewis Black, voices one of the characters in the story. It took me a while to realize it. But then like the second time they they did it, I was like, I know that voice. That is the angry one. But yeah, I mean, I love it. The, the writing's a lot funnier. They've finally explored the idea that Velma and Shaggy might be having a relationship and how that would affect the dynamic between Scooby and Shaggy. Because um, I keep having to remind myself, these kids are in high school. That is why they're reacting the way they are, even though they look like they're in their mid to late 20s. Um, I mean, they even address the fact that it's like um, Velma, um, as Shaggy's massive air quotes boyfriend decides starts buying him clothes and so she she says you have to try on these new clothes why says you've been wearing the same trousers since the 19 since 1968 they're really comfortable (laughs) i was finished i mean they bring up the fact that fred's always wearing an ascot 
and uh, you know that uh, his obsession with traps and that you know daphne i didn't know that daphne has like three sisters or something like that each of them vastly different to her um uh, yeah it's it's just things like that i mean it's, i love uh, scooby-doo has always amused me but this one some of the gags are just really good and uh, some of the writing is the moments where it's just brilliant like they've really thought of some great stuff yeah we seem to we seem to have like the whole squad in the chat tonight it's mm-hmm. everybody yes, yeah, what? We've, got the, we've got the geek squad in the chat so they yay greetings Tom, geek squad Tom and Haley and Awali Blue Monkey Waza Kuya and the meow partridge in a pear tree <laughs> and one of the questions that we have and that's also come up in the chat is your mm-hmm. experience in District 9 so yes. double question aside from District, District 9 have you been in any other movies and would it be something you consider but also what are some of the funny odd scary moments that happened to you while you were filming while um, on set <laughs> district, district 9 was hilarious there's a scene where the MNU building I remember clearly there were there's certain things that happened the um, the assistant director on the film um, his surname was Grinder, and his we had this weird superhero type gimmick that he had like a dozen or more different shirts each of them with the word grinder written across it in a different way i mean i don't know if he knew about the app but you know i didn't say anything i think this might have been before the app actually but that was the first thing and he was literally a grinder he was the one who would take the musings see the whole point about an assistant director is that they take the musings of the director and turn them into english um the same as when the the way i can describe it uh, there was uh, an orchestra uh, rehearsing and they're performing away and doing the thing and the musical director is there and the the the, the conductor does the whole thing and they finish and he turns to the musical director and he says um what do you think and the musical director goes could you make it a little grayer and the conductor looks at him, looks at the orchestra, and he says, do you want it louder or softer? That's what an assistant director does. They, they turn it into real-world instructions. So we were doing this scene. I used to have really long hair, and I used to gel it back. Um, it's in, tied in my pony. My hair is very poofy when it was long, so I had to find a way to wrangle it so I didn't look like um, Rolf from the Muppets. Um, <laughs> and I genuinely did it when I wore my hair loose. It used to do perfectly like Rolf, and I used to do it on stage. And pretend to play a piano it was great fun and then the audiences got too young to get that reference and i was very sad and so on district nine we had the scene where we had to run down these flight of stairs and the buildings being getting blown up and shot to pieces and so there's this jet flame of fire blasting out the wall and so the assistant director goes all right so you're going to be running down the stairs there's going to be fire shooting out of here please be careful those of you who are wearing a lot of product in your hair namely you sir as you pointed straight at me and says be careful our insurance won't cover you basically so i was like great and so if you ever see that scene which is very quick you'll notice that i'm running like this i may as well be saying yes master and it means you don't see me in the shot um one of the weird things about District 9 is that there were two separate shoots when they made it. There was the shot, the shots that were filmed in June, and then they did the filming again in November. Those were two separate plots. 
when they first decided to make the film, there was a lot of improv going on. And so they said to people, look, um, they said to the actors, you know, um, improvise your own sort of character and come up with stuff. And so I dreamt up a character called Aiden. And so Aiden was my, it was a, a lot of it had to do with the office interactions between myself and Vickers and other characters in Vickers. So there's all the stuff that we filmed. And then when they m completed filming in that run and they gave it to, um, to, uh, she's, what's his name? Dude, Lord of the Rings. I know it's wingnut films, but Peter Jackson. Yeah. So they gave it to Peter Jackson, Peter Jackson watched it and said, no, that's crap. Uh, go back and do it again and have a script. I went, okay. So that's when we all got the phone call and said, can you come back for another round of filming? And I was part of a group of people that could. And uh, then it was a lot of stuff had changed. A lot of more stuff was scripted. But what annoys me is that a lot of the stuff from the first film that I was in, that I would have been on camera with Vickers, you don't see. If you get a hold of the Blu-ray or the DVD of District 9, look at the deleted scenes, and I'm in a few of them. Um, <laughs> it's very quick stuff, but I, was just, I remember watching it going, son of a bitch. And, but I mean, like, some of the fun stuff that happened, when they shot, they took over a section of Cliptown Soweto, which was the squatter camp. They bought the usage of it for six months, okay? So they paid, I don't know, the local elders off or whatever. And so they're using the squatter camp. And it's those scenes where they go into what is supposed to be District 9. And I mean, the locals, as you see walking around there, those are all locals. Those are walking around. And what's it, what, I couldn't help but wonder. I remember watching it. Like, it was quite a heavy military operation. You've got these Caspers rolling in, guys in full Kevlar body armor with machine guns running around. I love the fact that they spray painted the guns white. I was just like, oh, okay, um, so somebody failed their freaking sneak roll. And just they're running around all this stuff with these guns and that. And I was wondering, like, what would have happened if some drunk dude stayed over at his friend's shack that night? He's from Tokoza, or well, not Tokoza, from, um, from Alex or wherever. And he wakes up the one morning and he happens to look out the window and the ghost of apartheid past is strolling past his door. Oh, it was all a trick. Oh, shit. And, ah, freaking hell. There, there are bits where I'm trying not to die of laughter because I can see the reactions of some of the people and they're giving that same look that a dog does when you make a funny noise. They're like, the fuck is going on here? And why are they filming it? Is this special assignment? <laughs> I mean, th there was a bit where I was supposed to chase one of the aliens, and they timed it with because the way they did was they figured out okay, so this train's going to shoot past here at this time according to the schedule. So we're going to wait here for the train to come, and we're going to CG in the alien you're chasing. Now they've asked me to run at speed, which I can do, but like the juggernaut. Do not let this person gather momentum because <laughs> when you weigh as much as I do and you run, it takes you a few steps to slow down. Now, yeah. there is no fence Inertia. between me and the train tracks where this several hundred tons of steel is rolling past. So what I had to do was basically the alien jumps past and the train goes roaring past and I come skidding to a halt. I'm not wearing trainers. I'm wearing office shoes. Okay, those are not known for their traction. You're never going to see Lara Croft scaling an ice wall with these. 
So nobody's going to say, oh, those grasshoppers, they're perfect for this ice shelf. <laughs> so I sprint my, uh, yes, I sprint my ever-loving Murov down this hill. <laughs> I get there and I said, excellent, right, let's do it again. I'm like, are oh, you fucking <laughs> shitting me? That boy has one good run in him, maybe two. There's not even a buffet as bait here. What the? <laughs> so, I mean, a lot of fun stuff happened, like, if you ever watch, you know, there's a scene where the one dude's got this enormous sniper rifle. It's a 20 millimeter antimaterial cannon, essentially. Jeez. It's this big bolt action thing. Yeah. I would later get to fire it when I got to visit the armory that it was kept at, but that was years later. Um, this thing is a monster. But there was another gun that appears in the film that is only in the deleted scenes. It's this, it's a rifle. It's maybe about, I don't know, about five feet long, but it's essentially a standard infantry rifle. But it was, it exists because of an argument that Donnell had with Americans and said, they said that it is not possible to create a 20 millimeter rifle that can be carried as a standard infantry unit piece. <laughs> and so Donnell said what they always do. They said, is it, eh? So... <laughs> They went over. It's the same thing they did with the Royfall. Because you can't have a helicopter that flies upside down. And Danelle said, is it, eh? Oh, and so we invented, we invented the Royfall, which is what they stole the design from to create the Apache Longbow. Yeah. And um, so, well, the guy who created the Royfall is the guy who created the Apache Longbow. South African guy. And so these guys show up the one day. Danelle shows up with their shiniest toys because, you know, American... American and New Zealand money. <laughs> and so they bring out this thing, and it's a 20 millimeter antimaterial rifle. So, what you've got is a weapon that has an effective range of two kilometers, a shell on it that you fire. This is the shell casing. Yeah. That is the slug. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's essentially you turn a standard infantryman into an artillery piece. The magazine holds five rounds. And they get this bloody thing. The grip is not underneath. It's on the side because you, when you hold it in there, it's so that the whole barrel is designed to concertina in on itself to absorb the recoil like a piston. It's the same system they have on the Barrett sniper rifle. Yeah. So you've got this thing. It, unfortunately, Donnell has still got the old army hangover where it's painted in this really shit army brown that has no business being on anything except mm -hmm. mud. So this thing didn't make it into the film, but I was on set when they test fired it. The armorer is a guy called Ollie Steele, brilliant dude, an incredibly cool guy, when it was, such a nice guy. And so he has this thing, we're in the middle of clip down. He loads blanks into this bloody thing. And he goes, he's putting on headphones, nobody else. He's like, he's quite a distance away. He's like maybe, I don't know, 30, 40 meters away. He puts on his headphones and I look at him as he goes, Fire it! Uh, and in my head, I was like, oh, crap. No one's got any time to react. And this, <laughs> this freaking artillery cannon goes off. I'm going, yeah, that's a gun. Whatever you were testing to do. I mean, if, I don't know if this was just an ad for Brooklax. It's like, Senecott. That's going to use my... Senecott, when you need relief most. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, the dumbest thing that happened on the set of District 9 was not even to do with the film. I, I worked as an extra for quite some time. 
And I can tell you this, that a lot of the people who work as extras, um, they're extras in real life as well. Um, you're not going to find a cancer <laughs> cure and they're not going to fly to the moon. Um, they say some of the weirdest, they're some of the weirdest people you ever speak to. It's like falling into a wormhole with some of these people. Cause they'll like one dude, I, I never thought I'd hear the sentence out loud. I asked the dude, what do you do for a living? He says, Oh, um, I, I make dog food. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that look that Kez just made in her face. And, <laughs> that was my reaction. But the weirdest moment for me on the set, um, uh, me and another comedian called Melt Sibrachen, we were on the set and we were just, you know, just chilling. We're in the back of this Casper being taken to the set. And so, um, you know, we're just chatting. And this is the set. Meltz wasn't on the June shoot. He was only in the November shoots. So we're going off to the set and we're just chatting. And so Melt then goes to me, looks at me and says, okay, I figured it out then. So basically the plot for this film is Independence Day meets Cry the Beloved Country. And I was like, yeah, that's pretty accurate. And before I could answer, this extra sitting next to us goes, yeah, it's like Coke and Coca-Cola. What? <laughs> and the silence that hung in that Casper. <laughs> it was like that Obi-Wan Kenobi had that great line, I felt a disturbance in the force. <laughs> As though a million voices cried out in terror and then suddenly silence. <laughs> it was like... I heard it, I felt a tremor in my spine as though a million brain cells cried out in terror and suddenly silenced because the, the, the wave of weaponized meh and stupid that came <laughs> off of this dude, weaponized you meh. could actually <laughs> kill people with it. You could drop him into a library and watch the lettering fall off of the books. Like you can... If I, it was this sort of dumb, all of us have encountered someone like this. Like if you handed them an encyclopedia, the book would go, uh, like you'd open it to a blank set of pages and was, oh, we don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> that was by far the weirdest, that was the weirdest <laughs> on set. I was freaking uh, finished. Reversed, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quick fact yes. question. Oh, and uh, yes, um, other movies that I would like to be in or have done. I did a thing many years ago called the 48-hour film project where you get given two hours, to two days to make a film, as in from beginning to end, conceptualize, make a short film. And, thing. and I did a thing called Death's Mandate, where I got to play Death, which was great fun. And uh, I even won an award for it. I shared Best Actor with the other dude in the story. So it's basically both of us won Best Actor. Hey! And the whole premise of it is that Death comes to collect this dude um, and the dude tries to talk him out of it, and eventually Death says, well, look, you know, it's your last day, so, you know, we can do it the easy way, or you can have a nice big send-off, and we proceed to have a hell of a party. It's it's a lot of fun. If you can find it, you can find it, I think, on my YouTube channel, um, or you can, yeah, Google Death's Mandate 48-hour film project, and you can find it. Oh, we'll hunt it down, yeah. believe me. Fantastic. It's, it's great fun. I had a good laugh making it. Yeah, so quick fire questions. Before we continue, I just I'd like to mention one thing. Uh, you say you talk a lot about your ADD uh, or your ADHD. I don't oh, know which yes. one. Which is ADHD, ADHD. Yes. ADHD. So, have you only got ADHD, or is it ADD and ADHD? No, it's 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 ADHD. It's basically attention deficit um, oh, hyperactive okay. disorder. Um, the difference being that I think the difference between the two is that ADD means um, you can't pay attention. 
um, ADHD is um, you can't pay attention, but it's in high definition, and when you do pay attention, it's incredibly clear. Um, I've actually there's another step to that. I've, I've figured it out today. I was chatting. There's ADD, ADHD, and HDD. That's where you're trying to do work, but outside you. <laughs> oh wait, no, no one heard that. Okay, sorry. No one would have heard that because your mic just cancelled out for some reason. <laughs> yeah, so, okay. Okay. Yeah. so that <laughs> a hardy dog is a weird animal. For those of you watching from Australia, I think it's because it's too high. Let me try this. No, didn't work. Ha ha ha! Basically, it's because the microphone knows the sound of the devil and will not speak its name. Yes. That's what um, harder. That's what harder is, where you you think you heard something, but it. Mm -mm. So, so the reason why I asked this is because I, I'm I'm not sure how many of the viewers actually know this. I don't know if I've, I've mentioned it very yeah, all the time. Okay, well, all the time. Apparently. See, can't remember. <laughs> what paying attention? And ADHD and dyslexia. You mention it Do like almost every. Yeah. This, 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 yeah. Okay. It's so fucked up. I can't read properly, and when I try yeah. to read, properly, I can't focus on it either. <laughs> Remember earlier you said people trying to capitalize on on things like with the coronavirus is people trying to capitalize on that. Oh, yeah. I saw somebody try to capitalize on um, people with reading dyslexia. Um, a guy created a font specifically designed for people who have dyslexia so that they can actually read this stuff. And it's it's very funky, like the way it's designed and it's on this blue background so your brain can actually focus on it. Here's the kicker though, the font costs $60. That's bullshit as well. Now, you know this about fonts. If you write something in a font and the other person doesn't have that font on their computer, it defaults to whatever. Yeah. So you have to make sure that this is only dyslexic to non-dyslexic traffic. Because if you send that to somebody who has dyslexia and they don't have the font, they'll be like, what am I supposed to do with this? Dude... So, it doesn't make a difference. The font, fonts, I can honestly tell you, fonts, in, in my case, mm -hmm. don't make a difference when it comes to reading. Because nah. what I read mm. and what you guys read are very different things. So mm, no, no. the best way to put it, before, before we continue, the best way to put it is, say you put a word down on paper, like because, for example, that, that word goes down on paper. You guys read... Because as like basically you can read it without actually going through every letter of the word, right? Yeah, scanning. I read because as B E A and so on and so forth. I will read every letter of the word. I don't read like oh. you know. You're getting the Scooby Doo look from your lady. Not <laughs> because wrong. Okay. <laughs> And that's you spell incorrectly often. No, I fully but, understand that. I do that. Yeah. But often is I'll, I'll pick up words like B E C A U S E, right? But I will spell it out and I will read every letter as it comes on on the sentence. So when I read pages, and Kiss knows this because when we read together, she generally finishes before I do. <laughs> no, I'm so, the same. I don't read very fast. Yeah, but so so what I'll do is I'll read like. For example, the questions that we asked you, I will read like 
every single letter of the word and people do not understand why dyslexic people speak like or read like that so the whole thing is is like don't judge us and just like don't judge people with ADD and ADHD like we have because we are still like people but the whole point is is that <laughs> okay you know I've been I've been <laughs> I've been insulted my whole life and it doesn't hurt my feelings because I've got very thick skin. <laughs> Try yeah, because... doesn't understand. <laughs> well, look, I, I think it's become a more prevalent thing, and it's also an, it's indicative of the society we live in where there's so much yeah. input now. We're bombarded from all angles. Mm. And so yeah, yeah, there's it. too much. Okay. And then I think everybody has, to a degree, some form of attention deficit because you have yeah. to learn how to filter stuff out. In my yeah. case, my biggest problem is that my mind will wander off mm. at times when I'm supposed to be paying attention. Mm. And I've gotten very good that I'm still listening, but only when you remind me of what you were saying do I actually remember what you were saying if my mind has wandered off and come back. Mm. The, song, the, the song lyrics for Crash Test Dummies Swimming in Your Ocean, that song is, is sex from the point of view of someone who has ADD. <laughs> Just read those lyrics. Yes, the whole song is about him having sex with someone, but his mind keeps wandering off to other thoughts. That is, song is about someone having sex with ADD. Read those lyrics, you'll see what I mean. <laughs> yeah, but no, we, don't look at me like that. My God. Okay, this is a that, that conversation is for for private. <laughs> of you who are not in a relationship this is a sentence you will hear a lot when you're in one i'm just looking at you <laughs> and what i didn't say anything those are little phrases that you will hear in a relationship only when you're in a relationship and if you're single you don't know because you have not been recruited into that war. <laughs> you are fighting a different war. And then we are fighting to get into a different that war. one. Yeah. yeah. So, rapid fire round. Yes, Batgirl. Let's rapid yes, kiss. Okay. What <laughs> Let me start. Let me start then. What have you been doing to keep sane during lockdown? What have I been doing to keep sane during lockdown? It's I've uh, I haven't had the um the problem that people have had of oh i don't have anything to do and i'm so bored i've had plenty to do i've been working as a copywriter more now the the agency that i work for is uh, yeah my workload has increased quite spectacularly it's it's gone up at least by 20 percent in that now it's like used to work like eight hours now it's 10 sometimes 12 and now two months down the line, it looks like um, people are finally going, okay, listen, we need to find a different way of structuring things because we're burning out our creatives and our copywriters and people in general at the company. So what I've kept myself busy with is what I've always kept myself busy with. I mean, during the week, I work. Um, at the end of my shift, I'm always really surprised when work is finished and I can actually have some downtime. The first three weeks were the were the roughest I have ever had at this agency, and I've been working here since working here since last year July, which I know is not supposed to be like it's not a long time, but I mean when you get into a rhythm and suddenly everything changes, the biggest thing that throws me off is when I am in a rhythm about something, I have a structure for something, and then 
a spanner gets thrown in the works. I'm not, it's weird. I can do improvised thinking. I can do comedy. I can think on my feet, but that's because I've learned how to do it. If I, as apparently I don't like surprises, especially not when it's in my work structure where suddenly it's, here's all the shit. We're going to change the brief halfway through. Oh, this has changed again. And after a while, I'm, I'm very thankful that I am on the medication that I'm on because it doesn't stop the noise in my head, but it made things easier. So yes, I mean, the thing of, ah, I've discovered baking. I was doing that before. <laughs> um, I, you know, I have a bread maker. Um, granted, we started baking more of our own bread because it's out of sheer convenience because we couldn't go. So we had all the ingredients. I mean, I loved hearing people saying, oh, no, there's no, there's no cake flour. Anyway, I haven't seen white people this excited about white powder <laughs> since the 80s. And, yeah, I remember that time. So coping with the lockdown, I've, I've been very lucky that I have my wife. Um, Claire keeps me sane. I keep her sane. We balance each other out. We help each other. Um, and that's that was the main thing. It's like just remember that I'm, I'm an introvert. She's an extrovert. So she's been suffering about this more than I have. Mm. Um, I'm fine to just chill at home. I would have loved to have had a week off Even me, yeah. where I just, oh, you mean I can just chill? Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. I'm going to watch cartoons, have my <laughs> breakfast, watch some more cartoons, listen to an audiobook, and then watch a movie. Okay. What's the freaking problem? Don't say no problem. I think there. it depends on how much imagination you have as to how bored you will be. Um, a lot of people, and I've noticed this with a lot of the corporate people I've worked with, um, there's a great quote in a video game called The Suffering. Um, it's the chapter you, at the start of the chapter where you go into solitary confinement in that part of the prison. It's about, it's in part, it's about a haunted prison. Um, there's a chapter that starts with, it describes solitary confinement. It says, you take away someone's light, someone's family, friends, their possessions. You take away their food. And in the end, all they have left is themselves. And for most people, that is not pleasant company. And so I think what a lot of people are dealing with now is that they're facing the fact that th they have to face who they are. All the things mm. they've used to distract themselves from who they are, they don't have those anymore. And there's only so much Netflix you can watch before you go, what am I doing here? Like everybody's looking for the meaning of life and not realizing that it's in here. You have to figure out who you are. So, oh. yes, the quick fire, not so much. Yes, next question. <laughs> so Sorry, what was that? The segue is... Mm. Why do you prize silence so highly? I prize it so highly because it's something people are afraid of. It's something that I've still gotten used to. Um, I have a touch of tinnitus, so I know when it's quiet because I can suddenly hear the tinnitus coming in full force. But well, the first time mm. I got noise-canceling headphones, that was hilarious. I was like, why is it so loud? Um... I prize silence because it's the first time, the first time I really experienced silence, it's I learned who I was. I found myself as weird as the new age is that's in, but not like I found myself, but I met myself literally. I, in 2006, it was 2006 and 2004, I went to the ICE hotel and I was very fortunate to be able to go. I stood on the banks of the Torn River outside of the ICE hotel and it's an entirely frozen river. And it is deathly quiet and the snow absorbs all the sound. And for a moment, I heard my own heartbeat and it was that quiet. 
and it was it, i i enjoy silence because i finally get to hear the world because I, when when lockdown started and everything just stopped i remember going outside and i was like i can't hear the hum of the traffic i like this i finally heard what the world is supposed to sound like and it's weird how you hear things further and further away as your body starts looking for input. <gasps> See? <laughs> have, have you noticed that? Whenever there's a really quiet moment in a movie, if you're in a movie theater, somebody's going to cough because <laughs> they're terrified of the silence. Does that not put the mic off? People are terrified of silence because <laughs> then they have, yeah, it's, a lot of people love it. I mean, I'm, I enjoy silence. And that is, I've done it before where for some stupid reason I woke up in like three in the morning or something. I had to go to the bathroom or something, and I just remember sitting, and I went into the lounge, and I just sat. And time passed. I wasn't aware that time passed. I must have fallen asleep where I was, but I just remember going, it was like a half an hour later, and I was like, okay. All right, so clearly this is something I like, yes. So yes, silence, I, I prize it very highly. It's, <laughs> it's one of the few places where the noise in my head is forced to calm down. What childhood memory Jeez, would you like to relive? Life. I've been doing <laughs> it. What childhood moment would you like to relive? Can't hear you, bro. Oh, no, mic. See, I thought I put the mic cough. off to cough, but I put it on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No worries. And this is good. What childhood moment would you like to relive? Uh, Christmases with my family when I was still very young. Mm. When... Santa was real, mm. where my family would lie to me <laughs> on monumental levels, because my parents are like, we didn't do Christmas morning presents, they did them Christmas Eve. So every year, they would find a way to get my ass out of the house long enough for Santa to arrive and drop off the presents. And what concerns me about those memories is that how remarkably gullible and stupid I was. How trusting I was that I never cottoned on that, wait a minute, I didn't hear bells. I didn't hear shit. This is the free state. I would have noticed somebody in a clear blue sky flying a sleigh in the middle of free state summer, summer. sweating his balls off. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, the freaking the reindeer would have been biltong by the time they got to the freeze. It's freaking hot there in summer, people. It's 20 degrees at night and like 37 during the day. It was warm. And I mean, the reason why I want those memories back is because I remember what my family was like. I remember when that innocence started when the family first started to slowly move apart from each other where this brother went over here and this brother went over there and then i eventually was the only one at home because my two older brothers are a lot older than me there's quite an age gap i mean eldest brother is 13 years older than me middle brother is nine years older than me so i was essentially an only child with siblings <laughs> and and you know uh, there's yeah. there's memory the forming of the memories the forming of the moments that would lead me to become a geek those are the memories that I would love. I would love to have that memory again of sitting in the Alpha Cinema in Valcom, watching Return of the Jedi as a theatrical release, 
being there in this enormous art deco cinema that had no business being in a small free state town but i was so happy it was there being there being in the games arcade it was called um golden china it was called golden palace and there was no chinese people within a country mile of the place this is what i found funny i mean we used to have an arcade called golden china and golden palace and there wasn't a chinese person within a country mile of the free state um it's i don't freaking know as was our weird attempt in the 80s at integration but yeah those those are the memories i'd like to have back they're memories that i don't know i've lost because i don't know what they are i would love to have those back one of the questions and i, I might get it wrong because i had to refresh the chat is he <laughs> wanted to know obviously with you being a writer if you've watched the most recent um justice league movie called dark something i think it was I, I don't remember Justice the name. League but the, is it the animated one? Yeah, I think so. it's the animated one. Justice League Dark. That's the one with um, Hellblazer in it. Yeah. Um, he yes, I watched it. He wants to know your thoughts and um, what you were... I, I liked it. There's, I stumbled onto it. Um, and I've, I've always personally felt that the people who are writing the Justice League animated stuff or the, the DC animated stuff are the ones who should be writing the scripts for the movies. Yeah. Um, because A, they're doing new things, and B, they're doing new things, and C, yeah. they're doing new bloody things. Um, it, it doesn't feel like we're flogging the same bloody dead horse. Um, it's like, <clears throat> okay, fine, Superman turns bad. Yes. Can we just, I mean, the, the, the Justice League animated series that was done, still to me has some of the greatest moments of of those characters ever um the way the batman series was written the batman animated series the original one that or at least the original to me the writing and that is genius the questions that it has lines in it like the um <clears throat> the cybernetic organism called hardak creates a perfect carbon copy of bruce wayne using information pulled out of the out of the um the 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 batcave computer and creates a robot that thinks it's Batman to the point where it can't commit, a, 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 it can't harm others because it's that close to being Batman. So there's a line in it when Bruce, when, when Batman finally beats it, it says, is it possible that it, it had a soul, Alfred? A soul of silicon, but a soul nonetheless. I mean, it's, it's ideas like the idea that artificial intelligence, and at a time when it still wasn't a big deal when you're a kid, I mean, the, the, what I like about the Justice League Dark thing, just the ideas behind it. The, the, the idea of Hellblazer <clears throat> having to deal with, or John Constantine having to deal with the fact that he does these things and it never comes back to bite him in the ass. I mean, it's the same as a sitcom episode where stuff that happened never dealt with again. And when i saw that happen in sitcom writing where that changed where there's an overarching storyline throughout each season and stuff that happened in season one appear in season four and stuff like that with constantine um the idea that stuff comes back to bite him in the ass i really enjoyed um i like you know that it's, I, I think it's zatanna zatanna's in it if memory serves the idea that zatanna and him have a history 
And I mean, I never even considered it. I was like, well, of course they do. They live in the same universe. And they're both magic users. Of course they would know each other. Magic users in the DC universe are like hen's teeth. Um, and for once, it's a Zatanna storyline. And Batman isn't necessarily like center stage with her. Mm. It, it was cool that a lot of these characters that are usually just used as information pieces in a story took more of a center stage. Um, I love the fact that the house that that um constantine has has a presence and that she she is this very specific thing she reminded me of um jasper uh, jarvis sorry as uh, but you know not nearly as stoic as jarvis and has an innocence to her and is more trusting as it i loved how that it, it illustrated the 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 nature of magic that um, magic that is not designed to harm can is actually has an innocence to it, whereas dark magic is this this shadowy, a shadowy miasma that literally consumes everything it can grab hold of. And the idea that yes, there is that there is a price to be paid in all of this. That I mean, I love that. I don't know if you have any, any of you ever watched Warehouse 13. Um, the artifacts, the whole premise of Warehouse 13 is that Warehouse 13 is this place where there are artifacts that have been gathered from around the world and that they are kept there because these artifacts can't be out in the world. They'll hurt people. All of the artifacts have a downside. So there is a set of binoculars that was the binoculars used by the spotters on the, Memf on the Enola Gay when they watched the first atomic bomb drop on Hiroshima. The binoculars absorbed the horror of that event. And so whenever you look at something through those binoculars, it'll scorch, it'll blast them with an atomic wave and scorch their shadows into the wall. Um, there, there's always a downside to every one of the artifacts. Like, they have the original Ray-Bans, the first pair of Ray-Bans ever made. And when you put them on, they're so perfectly made that they bend light so perfectly that they will make you disappear. Problem is, when you take them off, you are blind for however long you wore them. What? Stuff like that. So, <clears throat> what I love about that is... That there's the, the the duality of magic being shown in Justice League Dark. Mm. Um, I mean, I don't know the. I'm not geeked out enough about the characters to be able to nitpick about them. But I remember watching it, going, "I liked it. This is competent." There's no, at no point did I feel they were jumping the shark mm. or nuking the fridge. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, there, if if I'll I'll. It's one of those things where when I watch stuff, I don't watch it with a critical mind. I try not to. Um, mm. If something is really obvious to me, then I think, okay, then something that that's, that shouldn't have been done that way. That doesn't feel right. That doesn't resonate right with the character. Um, but I, if I watch it in a critical sense, that's when I'll see things differently. So, yeah, I mean, if there's one lesson in that, if you, you, know, you can really enjoy stuff a lot more when you switch your brain off. Um, <laughs> there's certain stuff I can't do it for. I give mm. Justice League away a lot more leeway. Um, I I remember stuff getting on my nerves when I watched um, Captain Marvel because there were just stuff. It, again, it felt like they were just running through. They were ticking boxes. There were parts of it that were really good, and other parts where I was like, mm, there was a really obvious hook there that they didn't use, or things that could have been resolved a different way but yeah that again that's my geek coming out that's where i'll go mm, 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 mm. no cool next question all right so if you had the opportunity to perform on any stage in the world with any person of your choice where would it be and who with 
unfortunately, George Carlin is gone. I would have paid money just to see him perform live. Anybody that can name a one-man show, Life is Worth Losing, is is worth seeing live. Um, I would have loved to perform with George Carlin. I would love to perform at Carnegie Hall. Um, purely because there's a great phrase. Uh, it's the old joke. How do you get to, so a guy leans out of a window. Uh, he's looking for directions. He asks the guy on the street, hey, man, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? And the guy says, practice, man, practice. <laughs> And it, it's, I want to, I'd like to perform in a 5,000 seater auditorium with 5,000 people in it that are happy to see me. That would be my thing. I would love to do a full, the full on stage production I imagined in my head of what, um, of what it's all geek to me would be like, because I have a very specific ending I wanted to do for the thing that I, I can't do without a massive stage budget, without a full production team behind me, like a Vegas type of show. Mm. Um, person I would love to perform alongside of is Lewis Black. He's currently, for me, he is the current truth teller of his time. Him and um, uh, Dave Chappelle. Um, I would yeah. love to perform with Dave Chappelle, but I don't, I don't know if my comedy comedy would resonate with his. Um, he has a very, he's one of the icons of our time. He is the, I honestly think it's not too much of an exaggeration to say yeah. that he is easily one of these, the Richard Pryor of our time. Yeah. But because we have so much media around us, we don't notice it as easily as we should. Um, yeah. Chappelle has managed to accomplish something truly unique. Um, but yeah, what I love about Lewis Black is the level of anger that he produces and the truth that he is trying to say. He reminds me a lot of Bill Hicks. Um, John Stewart once described Bill Hicks as like, Bill Hicks was a lot, Bill was a lot like Jesus. He was trying to save all of us. Unfortunately, his temper got stuck on that part in the Bible where Jesus walks into the temple with a whip saying, what are you doing in my father's house? That, that, that's, that's, that's Bill Hicks. And I mean, there's the, one of my favorite things that Lewis Black does he was, he's yelling about something and he goes, he just stops. He says, I just saw a blue sky for a minute there. <laughs> and I almost went and lay down in the grass. But I'm okay now. I'm okay. I'm fine. You know, it's weird when you yell a lot and you, you just, um, whew, okay, yeah, I'm back. Yeah. And just <laughs> that. That, that level of when someone reaches a transcend, transcendental level of rage where you actually see the inner workings of the universe for a moment <laughs> and you're just like, okay, I'm just going to calm down now for a second. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah, that's, I, I would love to just spend time with him because the, the way he thinks, the way he points stuff out, like the fact that just little things like on the back of a bottle of, a bottle of water in the US, it says, it says total fat. It says total fat in water. <laughs> That implies that somewhere out there, there is water with chunks of fat in it. And that's the water I want to drink because there's some tasty, that's the tasty damn water. But there's fat-free water now as well. Yeah, have you ever? Diet water. Um, Diet fucking water. The fact that we have fallen for this. Um, we, we have fallen for so much over the years. Um, in our desperate attempt to find something new and different, we will get bamboozled into any kind of bullshit. Yeah, We're remarkably good at it. 
Yeah, we have to be snowflakes. Each one of us. Yeah, but that's the thing. We, um, it's a thing of, it says, you're all different. Yes, we're all different. You're all unique. Yes, we're all unique. I'm not. And that's the guy they beat up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, yeah. Being, being the unique one is a remarkably lonely life. And the reality is that human beings can't deal without a herd. Yeah. That's why we find hermits so strange. That's why we find people who stay away from other people so strange. And it makes perfect sense genetically, just by the law of averages, that there would be someone like that. It's, we just, yeah, we can't not have a herd. We'll pack bond with anything. We know yeah. someone like that. What, that's just a complete introvert and removed from people? Yeah. Because that's, that's the mistake people make. They say that they get someone who is um, introverted, someone who is a hermit. There are differences there. A hermit chooses to live away from the world and can function they can see there's some people they they haven't spoken to another person like they get interviewed and that's the first time they've spoken to someone in three years yeah like the only time that they'll speak to someone is they'll go into town get supplies and then leave they're not interested in your life they don't, they keep to themselves and yeah that's that's a very there's the difference between antisocial and introvert Introvert is happy within themselves. Antisocial, they have a reason they're keeping away from you. Yeah. Well, it's... she's a, a agoraphobe, I think it is. Yeah. She's she's scared. Scared. Oh, she's... Well, that's different. That's a phobia. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she'll play games. Like, she'll play online games with us. But that's the closest mm. to human interaction that she, she can actually... Yeah. No, I fully understand that. I fully understand that. And mm. thankfully, we live in a world where that's possible. Yeah. Yeah. Where those people can survive. You can do it. Yeah. Okay. Next question. All right. We've got two left. Okay. We deleted two of them. <laughs> we did what? I deleted two questions because it's going to take too long to answer all of them. So, what are your plans for the future, Mabru? Um, I think I should finish. I think I should finish the novel. Um, 23 plans right there. Yeah. Yeah, I, have to fin I should finish the novel. Um, I need to get off my ass in many ways. Um, there were passion projects that I had that I stopped doing because I got a day job and I'm too damn tired at the end of it. Um, it's because the, the biggest problem for, I think, any geek is finding the balance between the things you truly love doing and the things that pay your bills. And if you can somehow get them to do that, then great. Just above all, make sure that it never ever starts feeling like work. Mm. And there's always going to be that. It's a, it's a weird thing to say that because there's always going to be moments where it feels like work. Um, there are times when I've gone on stage and it literally, shit, it was hard work. But if I didn't have the experience that I had, I wouldn't have been able to get away with it. And you'll hear comics say I got away with it, which means they feel that it wasn't. Rockstar Stormer. The audience might feel different. Comics who are watching might feel different. They themselves didn't feel that. And that is then you have that's another kettle of fish entirely. That's deciding, you know, that you might be being far too hard on yourself. Cool. Next question. Yeah. I'm trying to go quickly now because I'm curious about what these other two questions were. Well, it's well, weird now that you asked the, the future question first. Yeah, now we're going to go back into the oh, past. <laughs> how time travel works, it's all yeah, relative. We're going to go back into the past. But what is your weirdest fan moment that you ever had? Weirdest fan moment? Um, 
I was working at a venue and the girlfriend of the bouncer took an interest in me and really, 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 really was keen on me. But she um, didn't um, seem to want to get rid of said boyfriend first. Um, which was a special experience. I had a problem with that. Um, there was all the, you know, and in all of this, there was, it was weird. I had the weirdest sort of relationship where it wasn't a relationship and there wasn't any shagging. Um, and that's when I figured out I have a very strange moral compass and that I have one. And apparently I'm, I figured out that was the, the experience that taught me that I had, um, that I was remarkably conservative in my sexuality because, um, while the boyfriend and his friends were watching a football game, she propositioned me to go have sex with her in my car in the parking lot. And I was like, um, yeah, problem there. And that a, it's in a well-lit area. Um, and B, I don't have a B that's, um, yeah, that, that would be, uh, fucking stupid idea yeah. and it's also i mean being a com perpetual smart ass and having comedian material running through my head i remember uh, um as a comic in canada does this whole thing it says fat guy can't fuck in a fiat hell fat guy can't even jerk off in a fiat well you can but you're honking the horn they know where you are um and it's by the same token i looked at my maz there and i was like yeah people are gonna see that suspension rocking so i'm not a small person you know this the two of you have met me Six, um, six foot two and about a foot and a half wide and I weigh about 140 the last time I checked um, at that stage maybe I weighed 120 but yeah that much ballast rolling around people would have noticed um, the other odd fan moment I had and it's the reason why I stopped giving out my number to random strangers or at least I changed my business card so that the phone number wasn't on there it's just an email address it was about two in the morning Christmas day and for some bloody reason, I'd left my phone on. And some random jackal fan phones me up. I was like, huh? What? Phone's ringing. I was like, hello? And this dude phoned me up. And he said he was chilling there with his friend and his wife. They were having a, a braai into the evening. And he, he, um, I, I said hello, he passed the phone to his wife, I said hello to her, and I could, I don't know if I just imagined things, but I could hear in her voice, she was going, oh, Jesus, I wish I wasn't involved with you. Um, just this embarrassment in her voice. But the, the bit was this, he wanted me to tell a joke to his friend. And I'm at my parents' house, and the rest of the family is all sleeping in different rooms. Um, and I was just, I remember just, I had the phone in my hand, and he says he wants me to tell a joke to his friend. I remember just loudly saying oh fuck off and i switched off my uh, i hang up my phone i switched it off i don't know if i forgot switching it off or what but i remember tossing it across the damn room and now i can't fall asleep it's probably the adrenaline but in my mind i'm thinking i can't fall asleep because the bastard's gonna phone again and he's just gonna wake me up again if i try to go to sleep it took me about maybe 45 minutes to get back to sleep and then by the next morning in the morning i realized the phone was off but i was just sitting there going as, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have weird fans. I've been very lucky in that regard. I've, um, I've, uh, yeah, in the sense of, you know, um, people, people, I've met people who can recite my material back to me. And I, that's very useful because a lot of the times it's material I forgot. <laughs> and so then I write it down. And so now, hey, I got new material again and <laughs> stuff that I haven't performed in like six years. So that's been cool. Um, I haven't really had many like overbearing fans, people that cross the line between fan and think they're now a friend and that that's when it gets weird. 
that doesn't that hasn't really happened i've been very lucky in that regard uh, most most if not all of the people i've dealt with um have manners and you know it's yeah, there there is a line and yeah it's, that's i'm very thankful for that i've been lucky in that regard but yeah those two moments stick out in my mind thanks no, rude that's it dude there's no more questions <laughs> We're done. what about rude what about rude you have my attention hmm no i say oh not rude. A normal person? Oh god, she's far from normal, but that's beside <laughs> the point. I think normal is a vastly weird term. Um, normal is what is normal for you. I just um, random people like you. I'm like, hey, you want to do this? That's fine. About uh, what is it? A week and a half ago or more, I got a I got a message from a friend of mine who is studying in Moscow. He's dating a, a Russian comedian. And he said, listen, um, she runs this podcast about uh, about um, comedy. She interviews comedians. Um, can I put the two of you in touch with each other? It's like, sure. Yeah, let's talk. I don't mind. <laughs> um, weird things for me is like when somebody tries to phone me up trying to recruit me for Amway, which hasn't happened in what? a very long time. <laughs> knock on freaking wood. I don't want to. I'm, yeah, I did that dance when I was still just out of varsity. And uh, no. We've all done that dance, dude, to be honest. Yeah, it's, a, it's one of those big warning signs. If you suddenly get a phone call to attend a bri from someone you haven't spoken to in 15 years. Yeah, and you're like, no. Oh, no I'm not doing that, dude, fuck Can off. Can I show you something? Half an hour of your time or something like that. Oh, my best. It happened with, it happened with Claire, where somebody that she was like vaguely acquainted with said you know um because they they knew each other because they traveled the same route on the car train um for a long time and yeah it was a pleasant enough guy and so i asked them yeah can we meet up at uh, monte casino for a coffee and i was like i'm going with you because there was something about what he said that immediately set off my alarm bells and uh, so we go and this dude's brought his business partner with him i was like ah oh, fuck there we go Ding, 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 stop the clock. And, you know, I mean, fucking hell, it's like, I can remember there's people that, there's a physiotherapist, a friend, yeah, a friend of mine's physiotherapist that tried to sign them up to timeshare. I'm like, really? You've got me half naked on the freaking, on the, on this bench here, and now you want to discuss Plettenberg Bay? <laughs> that means I will forever associate the knot in my back with Plettenberg Bay. This is not good marketing. Dude, I need Plettenberg Bay taken care of. Do you mind? Yes, yeah. I've got a severe case of the strand in my back. If you could just... Um... Yeah, I've got copies right here in my neck. If you... Well, if you're going to timeshare in copies, you've got other problems. I've never seen that town. I was towed into it when my car broke down in the middle of the night, but I've never seen it in daylight. And it was very, very surreal where you're being towed into a town and you're only, was, I mean, I don't know if they'd switch off all the lights, but there were very few street lights. I remember going into the town, looking around going, oh, this is the town where Resident Evil happens. <laughs> Although more realistically, it would be um, much larger. I mean, it's amazing how Raccoon City got bigger and bigger with every game. <laughs> like eventually it became the city with skyscrapers. Oh, what the fuck is this now? When did they become skyscrapers? I don't remember there being skyscrapers in Resident Skyscrapers, you see them in um, in the original Resident Evil 3. 
when the missile hits the city and it destroys it, you can see these tall buildings in the center of the city. Um, then also when they made the movies, then suddenly Raccoon City is this mother of a place. Like these tall ass buildings. I was going, eh? Movies as in the live action movies or the car, the car, the live action movies yeah. don't count. Cut by themselves. I hate those movies. Anyway, Ugh, uh, I don't mind. I, I knew they were going to be um, jumping the shark. Shit, they're not just jump the shark. They jumped the shark, strapped wheels to it, and a jet booster flew it to the moon and fought the crab people. Exactly. It was fucking bullshit. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is the problem with ADD and dyslexia, dude. You forget things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. The brain has shut down. Uh, yeah, I think that's about it for the <laughs> for the longest geek inspired podcast so far. I think we've hit. Oh, terribly! Oh, shit. It's been worth it. No, it's it's been hilarious, Fantastic. of course. But we Thank almost you. hit three. I'm glad hours. you enjoyed it. Yeah. I had fun. Yeah. So what we need to do now is you need to tell us and tell our fans where they can find you. Well, uh, let's see. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, on Instagram is V the Jester, um, as in the letter V, the Jester. Um, same goes for, well, no, that I use that handle only one other place, and that I don't think that social media platform exists anymore except for porn. Um, you know which one I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> So on Instagram, it's V the Jester. On Twitter, and also I believe on Facebook, it's at Vittorio Leo. That's V I T O R I O L E O, Vittorio Leo. Uh, you can find me on YouTube. Just literally search for my name, Vittorio Leonardi. And um, yeah, it'll you'll know when it's me. It's just content that's just me doing stand up and doing other oddball stuff. There is one let's play attempt that I did of. Um, uh jeez. Uh, the 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 third person game where you're on a space station and there's all these monsters with blades for hands and stuff. That sounds like all of them. That sounds like. Uh, <laughs> no, that's first person. Um, Dead Space. Yeah, yeah. Dead Space. Yeah, yeah I was doing a let's like play of Dead Space, and yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't have the sound right, but it's still fun because I'm I'm still heckling the thing as I go. It's how I get over being jump scared. But uh, yeah, for true jump scaring, play Dead Space 2. Freaking hate jump scares. I hate them on a monumental level. That's something that needs to disappear out of films. If you can make a horror film without any bloody jump scares and just frighten people using atmosphere, well done, you can stay. Oh, and... There are some out there that can do that. No, there are there are tons, but you have to look for them. Oh, and I would like to see, a, um, what are they called? A found footage horror film with a plot. Yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> with an ending that is it's at my challenge to the horror movie makers of the world. Make a found footage horror film that's ending is not, and they all died the end. <laughs> because I get it. You found the footage, therefore everybody. <laughs> But that said, I saw what is not a really a found footage film. It's a first-person point of view film. Uh, it's not hardcore Henry. That was oy. that was that's a that's a gore that's a gore film with 
an extremely big budget. Now, there's a zombie film that's been done um, in first person as well. It's very, very weird. Um, very violent as well. But yeah, it's it, the, the freakout factor on it is quite high, especially if you watch it on a decent system and you know, decent headphones. But yeah, um, I can't remember the name of this film, but basically this dude is a weird concept, but it's the best reason I've seen for why you carry on filming. Why, do you, why are you still filming? Guy has an accident, loses an eye. He then makes a false eye with a video camera in it, with this with this high definition camera, and he nice. tests it out on this camping trip. Him and his wife and his friends go out on, and then an alien incident happens, and the rest of the film is this alien trying to kill them, <laughs> and it is creepy as fuck. And it, it does answer the question of why are you still filming? I mean, the day that they invent a camera that actually creates peripheral vision and is filming in that cone yeah which is hard to do because you need the ability to look around for that peripheral vision thing to happen but the second they can create that field of vision when you're watching a film that's when it'll feel more real yeah but because I mean, immersion's the biggest thing now i mean they can't do it with vr vr still makes everybody want to puke mm -hmm. um but yeah it was <laughs> yeah i mean some of us are and some of us are not i mean like i can play first person shooters but I, it takes me a while to get into it when someone's playing a first-person shooter and I watch a Let's Play. That, uh, after a while, I sit there. I'm very happy I'm sitting because I would not be doing well otherwise. Yeah. But yeah, in the time I've been warbling, has any other question popped up? No. <laughs> uh, it's sunny uh, out. On your um, found footage story, yes. one of our friends, Blue Monkey Waza, is actually writing a script with... Um, that idea behind it where the people actually survived um they mm. found and there's someone alive it wasn't really a found footage it was, i would say that's a passed on footage because, well, I, well, don't, they survived, I don't so. really know mm. the whole story behind it because he's not done with it yet but he said he's busy writing something like that that's cool there was um there's been a few of them where you know they do find this people alive and yeah, that sort of thing. But it's weird. That sort of an ending is always left like as a secret thing halfway through the credits. I'm going, dude, that's the equivalent of hiding your ending in the DLC. Okay? <laughs> Stop it. Jeez, <laughs> uh, oh, I hate that. I mean, Troll Hunter was one of those things where the ending makes no sense. Where they had an ending. And then extra shit got tacked on like a pa got a hold of a typewriter and went and it made it into the script and they filmed it because the writer wasn't there that day and you're going what in the, this film was awesome up until this bull crap happened what what is this horse shit yeah it's literally it's it's a dear ass faces <laughs> It's the best impression of, of a whiny person on the internet. This is before social media. We used to get guys you'd write in on email. And it's going, Dear ass faces, somebody on the internet is wrong. And you're, oh, they were every bloody way. And now they've just gone into social media. It offended you. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> best line I've heard about those, again, Steve Hughes is brilliant. Aussie Comics says, oh, you're offended. And? Yeah. Being offended, it was Bill Maher that actually said it. Being offended doesn't work. 
it doesn't work anymore. Saying you're offended doesn't mean shit. No, it doesn't. It, it doesn't do shit. It's like Billy Connolly was the first person I ever heard talk about it. It says, um, if you're offended, fuck off now. Like, don't sit through the whole show and then tell me it annoyed you. Fuck off now. Yeah, leave now or just, like, shut up. <laughs> yeah. Don't sit through the whole show. Then come to me and demand a refund. If something offended you, come to me. I'll give you your cash and then you can piss off. You're not going to get through the whole show. Hope it's, it's, it's weird. It's like people watching a movie hoping for a decent ending. Yeah. No, 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 no. I've had that with comedy shows where it's like it's, it's, you see it with open spots who are told to do five. And at four minutes, three and a half even, it becomes blatantly obvious they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. And so they then, for the next three and a half minutes, carry on digging themselves into another bloody hole. And you're just going, dude, you're looking for a punchline where there isn't one. Go. Go. There is no shame in leaving. I mean, that's yeah. one, like, one of the number one questions that we comics get asked. What do you do if you die on stage? Well, finish your set, take your bow, and you leave. Because the reality is, in the end, you're still getting paid. Yeah. Your job is to do your job. And then you go, okay, done now. Bye-bye. So. Uh, right, so that's you've, in plugged, there. you've plugged <laughs> where you've been and continue the conversation slightly further. Mm, yeah, sorry about that. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can find me there. My website is vittorioleonardi.co.za, I think. I always, it's weird. I always get confused. It's .co.za or .com. I never, sorry, it's .co.za. Yay. Um, on YouTube is where you will find my one-man show. It's all geek to me. The full show is there for free to the fans. Um, yeah, one hour, 16 minutes of geek stuff where you don't have to figure out whatever the hell's going on here. <laughs> it's like, that's how, metal, that's how metalheads film things. It's dual metalhead <laughs> rock star fuck you style. Anyway. Anyway, that's yes. our day kicking in. Okay, Victoria and I should shut up now. Yes. <laughs> We're noisy people. No. Okay, tunes. Yes. Tunes, where can we find you? Oh, you can find me all over the internet at Geekoscopy. And if you can't see it properly on Twitch, I'm going to flip my picture. Oh, magic. Hey. Hey. I can read it both ways, though, so I'm fine. <laughs> you can read it both ways. Yes, there's some, some live editing. Yes, he swings right. both ways. Yes. <laughs> some live editing for you right there. I can even do this. So that pad in the background said I can even fighter. do that as hey. well. If you're like, hey. <laughs> Meanwhile. <laughs> you're not confusing me. <laughs> so, yeah, add Geekoscopy <laughs> on the internet. Except for Ooh. Yahoo and MSN and AIM and the, the irrelevant, the irrelevant yeah, ones. Tumblr, you won't find me in those places, but all the relevant Tinder. places, yeah. Watch out for dick pics, they might be cheating. <laughs> <laughs> How could it be? I'm not there. I'm not there. <laughs> it was another yeah. thing. I did a podcast once upon a time as well. Oh, so, yes. Urbane Myths, it was. I did about. 13 episodes and then life stopped me from doing it but if you're looking for 13 episodes of weird stuff that happened in south africa like uh, x filesy type of stuff you can check it oh, out urbane like, myths like um, yeah, Google that. and highway sheila and stuff like oh, that so it's just piqued my interest mm -hmm. 
But anyway, okay, yes, from us here, the SA Geeks, all the way up in the land of Scots, we are on Twitch. You know what? Fuck it. Everywhere where it's relevant, I'm not going to actually mention all the kills. All social media that's relevant, including TikTok. Because. Hey. But weird. So obviously we're there. Just so mm-hmm. as you know. But anyway, guys, that's 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 it. That's a wrap. Victoria, dude, thank you so much for joining us. You are, as always, a hoot and a half. Thank you very and, much. Thank you for Thanks joining for having us. me on, guys. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was a lot of fun to have you on board and watch it and enjoying the, 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 the stream with us. Tunes, yes, as always, shot for hosting. Thank you. To everyone who's out there busy watching us at the moment, you guys rock. You 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 are the ones who keep us going. So so just remember that much on us. Alright. And finally, as we always say it. Bye. I'm not gonna pause and wait here forever. <laughs> <laughs>